Bayfield here, and yes, Sonic Waffle is back. Uh, been a bit of a gap in proceedings, as you probably have noticed, listeners. We uh, got a bit busy putting an album out. We did, uh, yeah, we did that. That was a nice bit of fun. But um, back to it with the waffle now. So next episode is one of the busiest, most hardworking, and fucking nicest people in drum and bass, uh, MC Visionobi, uh, also known as my mate Rich from the Office. Uh, Rich has been a friend of mine for quite some time. We've worked together at Drum and Bass Arena, essentially, for a good few years. And I hadn't seen Rich in ages, so I said, come on down, we'll do the podcast. But um, I thought it'd make more sense if me and him caught up on a personal level first so that we didn't kind of just clog up the episode of the podcast with all of our back and forth. But, of course, as all best plans tend to go, it went up Shit's Creek and we got really smashed in the pub pre-podcast continued drinking throughout the podcast and as such inevitably ended up talking about everything from drum and bass and dubstep and how we got started in the music industry to star wars and brexit yes the b word we hit a bit of that uh we're pretty drunk so not all of it is as factual as it could be i'm sure but we're quite honest about the fact that we kind of voted with our hearts and don't really know what we're talking about on a political level we don't claim to be politicians we don't want to be politicians but yeah, it's a nice round the houses chat. It's probably our longest one yet. Uh, but it was great fun. Rich is a really positive guy, which always slightly unnerves me. Um, but yeah, enjoy myself and Vision Obi. Um, as usual, if you need to support, oh fuck it, I'll do all those links at the end. If you make it all the way through, I'll try and sell you some stuff at the end. But put bluntly, Bandcamp, Patreon, share on social media, like on Spotify, subscribe on iTunes, all that shit. Uh, episode 5 of Sonic Waffle. Myself, Bayfield, chatting to Vision Obi, a.k.a. the lovely, officially the loveliest man in drum and bass. Sonic Waffle. Yeah, it's the fucking same crud everywhere. But, um, so did you, you started, were you in Southampton? So I was at uni in Southampton. Yeah, with old Mr. Raygun. With Mr. Raygun. The boy. Yes, another common ground we had, Matt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's actually in London tonight. You know? I did, do you know, I think I've only met him once. Yeah. I think I've literally only met him in the... Fl- I don't even know if I've met him. I'm not <laughs> if you fancy going to drum and bass rave tonight, you well, let me know. Obviously, I don't fancy going to drum and bass rave. <laughs> but I'm, I'm up yeah. seeing old Joe. Yeah, mate. So what you, did you start as... Were you promoting down there when you were uni? So basically, or? I um, obviously sort of... like like residing in Hertfordshire originally, like Wedding Garden City, went to school in St Albans and then went to Union Sorry, Southampton. Sorry, be a fucking idiot. Where's Hertfordshire? Hart- is that, is that a north weird, of London. Yeah, that weird, yeah, yeah that, that yeah. dead zone. It's the one that everyone in London goes, oh, you're from Hertfordshire, yeah. like you're some sort of posh boy. Like, you're not you're from London, but you're not from the Midlands. <laughs> that that grey strip across the middle. Hearts, beds and bucks. <laughs> yeah, exactly, you know. the, the three. Yeah, I know them all, but I don't really know where they are. Yeah. I'm just sort of aware they exist. It's it's kind of an odd one, isn't it? It's like that sort of uh, Bermuda Triangle, effectively, just north of London, <laughs> of shipped counties. North London, Bermuda. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I obviously, um, that's where I grew up and, you know, sort of had an attachment to London. But then when uni in Southampton, met some key people and sort of started building my career properly there. And Why did you go to Southampton? What was the, what did Mate, you, get, what you, know did you what? study at uni? I, I studied digital music production. Right. <laughs> and I now don't make music <laughs> apart from when I MC on it and I'm constantly struggling to get beats off people. <laughs> yeah, I could have been making my own music. It's the most backwards thing ever. I just wasn't born to sit in front of a computer and I actually started to find it really jarring and boring. And maybe it's laziness. I'm not sure if I could have potentially crossed that line, 
when it all became easy and fun, but it just never really was for me. I just like the well, lyrical I think, side I think, of things. I think if you enjoy doing it, like, you're only lazy about something you don't enjoy. In a way, I think laziness is like the filter of whether something's actually fun or not. Like, if you can't be asked doing it, it's probably shit. I totally I mean, agree with that. And I think what, that filters fil- fil- itself out, doesn't it? Like, I think as you get older, you realise that, and it's like, actually, do I need to be doing these things, and what do I enjoy doing, and actually just feel my passions, and whether they make me money or not, that's the most important thing. Yeah. But yeah, I went down south and um, met Gera, met Joe, and like Joe was really the promoter. He was running. The reason he's called Joe Raygun is because Raygun Youth was the night that he was like running right. with a guy called Steve, I think his name was, and that was yeah, that was like the first sort of bookings we got, and then we became friends. We all lived together, and we started a good little crew down there and made a little scene out of it sort of a headsy kind of scene so, so what, fighting what, what the losing is, battle what, what era was this what, yeah yeah obviously obviously <laughs> visualising the end before it even started but what years was this then so that was from I'd say about I went to you when I was 20 but it didn't really kick off down there till I was sort of like 21, 22 and it, I, I left there when I was like 26, 27 so what, what, what almost years? 10 years ago it was like the like what 2009 I think was when I graduated oh, so about the same year so you and you, I, I graduated 2010 so we would have been yeah similar so that was when so yeah like dubstep had peaked dubstep was yeah so that, and that it was, was like it was like indie me. but it was like indie shit wasn't it was like mate I really enjoyed like for me those were the like everyone talks about golden days in drum and bass I'm gonna be like a bit of a hypocrite here. Like, <laughs> I hate it when people say that even though I've been listening to music since like 1999 and, you know, I love that era. You know, for me, it's all just been a journey because obviously now I'm an artist doing my own thing. So it's just been wicked, the whole lot of it. But if, because from an outside perspective, looking at dubstep, I would say that for me, I just loved it when it was that, you know, there's still a scene going on at the moment, you know, the deeper realms and stuff that I really, really enjoy in dubstep, actually. And we were very lucky because it was timely with our um, sort of, uh, you know when we were in Southampton so it worked out really nicely ended up hosting loads of dubstep sets as well which was cool and sort of out of my remit originally but it gave us a very you know we could do cross genre nights which was the first time I'd sort of really been introduced to that kind of thing since what so like oh nine that time yeah because for yeah. me that was where ooh, I was like no this is shit now this is <laughs> this really is, yeah I, I mean that was where, yeah that was where it started to just go really kind of screechy that was where the kind of broy stuff really started to come in yeah and when, but I, I was at a disadvantage I think because I just found it and was like oh my god this is good and then where I was it was like fucking indie rock and student proper student cheese and that, like there was yeah. no there was no electronic scene at all so when it became a thing that was the stuff that came in was like the really shit stuff yeah so I actually started off to me, it was like the worst time for all of it. Like I got into it just as it fell apart for me. But then obviously there was still loads of good stuff going on. Yeah. But I would never hear that without having to spend hours on the internet and go find some shit. Yeah. And it was kind of pre-SoundCloud, Instagram, Facebook, really kind of running things. Yeah. Like Because that era was just before, like, I don't think Instagram was even about when I was at it, it was like, It was like 2012 that came in. Yeah, and SoundCloud. I'm not, I'm not sure that I ever used it, so it was still like finding music the old-fashioned way, like going to parties and. Yeah, dub the dub era. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of the end of that. It was like the tail end. It was already a bit fumy. Yeah, I think but... for me, I've, maybe because I was in Southampton, that was so far removed from London, and I was a drum and bass head when I was back here, that it's sort of 
But, you know, I got introduced to it down there and it was, you know, Scream Benga, you know, the really early sort of Croy, Croy dub sound effectively was, yeah, coming through. And you're right though, like as soon as you said the screechy stuff, I remember particularly embar- like embarrassingly so, hosting a Rusco set after about 30 Jager bombs because there was this night called <laughs> Wax back in the day that our mate Carl, who used to run the club, just had rinsed the bar dry because he knew he was leaving. And he'd like come in the booth with like trays of Jaeger. And there is a recording that still, I think, is flowing about somewhere, not online, thank God, of me hosting a Rusco set. And, I'm checking this down. Oh, this, mate, is, this, is it, coming, this is coming public. It's literally like career-ending material. <laughs> like, that, it's that bad. So, hey, do you, do you, do you just, like, because you just dub see on, dub, on drum and bass, really, now, don't you? Yeah. At the much, time, was yeah. it like whatever was happening in the club, you just jump on it? Or? I'd say we was mostly drum and bass, but the, this wax night, because... Um, Guy Cole, who um, you know, brought me through at that time, he was very clever and sort of saw the rise of it. And then, literally, it was a student night, Wednesday night, wax standard one night, like literally, no brainer, one headliner. <laughs> like, honestly, you'd have flyers about like, the month, and it'd be like Andy C, Rusco, Casper, and it was just like a mix, and it was. It, it wasn't the headsy stuff that we were doing, but then he would occasionally, you know, he'd put like new tone, like lo- loads of different, like more deeper stuff. But it was just cross genre. Yeah, right. And he was like, I, I, I remember one time, like funnily, he actually drafted me from this downstairs night called Night Flight. And there was like 20 MCs in a row, all waiting to spit their like bars. And it was like the most tragic drum bass jump up, shitty little thing you can imagine. <laughs> But like, it was like my time to actually get involved. Went there and like, he was the boss of like the whole club. And he like was like, can you come with me like this? And I was like, fuck, I'm getting chucked out for weed or he's seen me doing Some something shit, I should yeah. be doing in the toilets. And I was like, oh no. And he's called me in there and he's basically gone like, oh yeah, uh, I've got this new night starting on Wednesday. It's called Wax. Basically, it's going to be like running all all like night, um, and I want you to be the MC for the for the event, Proper and you're hosting. basically hosting. And he yeah. goes, "There's just one condition." I was like, "What's that?" He's like, "You can't give the mic to any of these waste men." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Sweet, Don't anyone else in?" So I was like, "He's like, I pay you fifty quid. You host for like you know two, three, four, five hours, however long you need you for." That's like cool. what? That was it. Seven fifty an hour. <laughs> Solid. <laughs> Solid, strong money back Solid then. starting piece. I'm, I'm at least on £2.50 more than that now. <laughs> yeah, you know, 15 years later in the game, really, you know, getting my getting So my was work. there a point where, like, because I remember I, I, I did a, I, I had a chat with Total Science. Awesome. A, a few years ago. Both they're, of them? They're fucking legends, yeah. They, I, like, like, yeah. I didn't know their music at all. I got sent down there on assignment. And, cool. Like, didn't, and it was, yeah, it was them and Spirit and Digital. And I did, like, oh, an interview with really? a four of them. Sick. I didn't know any of them. They're, okay, like, the fucking cool. greatest boys. But they yeah. were talking about... They said about, I think it was about the same era. They, I think it was as dubstep came through and kind of took over as the underground sound. And they were saying about like, it was just a weird, like did drum and bass, because I don't really know anything about drum and bass historically. Did it kind of warp to try and fit the screechy bro steppy when that kind of, did it, because they said they were sort of like, it kind of got into a weird grey area where they were just like not really sure I think they'd be more equipped to answer something like that just because they're a little bit older and I'm, probably seen. To be honest, the interview was years ago. I might be misquoting them horribly. No, you're, you're, probably, you're probably not. Like I think Jerome Mays came from a very pure perspective. Like who was I talking to yesterday? I was, 
we were talking about the, the Blue Note era and the fact that like David Bowie was turning up to like you know Metalheads Blue Note yeah, to get that, inspiration that from Bowie, music. Earthling by Bowie is one of the worst records I've made. <laughs> I've got to, I've got to put that on fucking record. That fucking Noted. Album, there's a great interview where um he's taught I can't remember who's speaking to him but he's like he's obviously in New York coked out of his skull in 1999 and um I've heard apparently I don't know how true it is but I've heard that his that album Earthling was like. He was hanging around with Goldie and Dillinger yeah. at the time, yeah, and that yeah, was yeah, like. Yeah. But there's an interview. He's like, "Yeah, it's called Jungle," and he's like, sort of expounding the values of Jungle. And yeah, then he came out with that album, which is fucking shit. <laughs> it's so. Are you rubbish. telling me that Drum and Bass is responsible for David Bowie's worst album? Literally, ever? I, I mean, literally. Yeah, <laughs> it was also the first album to ever use Photoshop on the cover. <laughs> as far as I'm aware, he's, he photoshopped on like using a Union Jack latex really? jacket on like Green Hills. But he obviously got shot in New York and then photoshopped on. Not shot as in, he wasn't, David Bowie didn't get like involved in a drive-by in New yeah. York. Better photoshop the bullets. Huh? That's interesting. I know Goldie like, was knocking about with him and yeah, he definitely sought inspiration from it. But I think, so as your initial question is, it's been, you know, such a like changing genre. But the one thing I do think that drum bass, like for me, like epitomizes is that that sort of like willingness and that like loyalty towards the core sound and the essence of what the music was about in its entirety at the, at the beginning when it all sort of started. And whilst there are now millions and millions of subgenres that we have, we can, it's just, yeah, exactly. Your face says it all. It's absolute like bullshit. Essentially, I find myself in the place I've exactly like imagined myself always to be in and I've done the commercial thing and I wouldn't say the commercial thing I did was particularly screechy that stuff is out there and there's you know neuro that's turning heads for you know the wrong reasons of the heads it's turning because obviously people aren't enjoying it and they don't really appreciate that sound and there's always is neuro like the really fiddly stuff it's really like the hard, the yeah, hard, like proper heavy like kicks and like loads of just tons of little things tucked yeah. in. But there was an era of neuro that I remember that was like, like I saw it as a beautiful genre of music. But like I think what you're pointing at is, it's just like we how loud can we make well, our it, music? It's the same as all these genres. It becomes an arms race. Yes. Like it's like the same with dubstep. Once you know, once the people cottoned onto the the, the wub wub or whatever you call it, it became a who can make the biggest ridiculous. And yeah, it just becomes like arms race territory. So yeah. who's like a top neuro? I'd say like Mephius at the moment. Right. But I don't, I really, and, and like always, the most obvious one would be like Noisier. Right, okay, but so that's, okay. I'd say they were like, kind of like patented their own like sound with it. But I've done it, you know, there's no denying the talent in the production. And, you know, there's certain bits of it that are for me, but then there's certain bits that are for me. I think it's just about having that level of acceptance and realising you know, detaching your ego from it and realising not all music is for you. Mm. Let somebody get on with it and, you know, respect everyone's boundaries within the industry. No, see, I think give people our time. <laughs> if you don't like it, just tell them they're shit. Like, you know, like junk, like Earthling by Bowie, it's shit. I don't, I hate all this. Oh, he's a shapeshifter. It's like, nah, it's, he's, like I think, I love Bowie and like he's, some of his albums are some of my favourites. Yeah. But then when people are like, oh, he's a musical chameleon. I'm like, well, no, I think you're kind of just jumping on bandwagons. Like, you're basically a male Madonna. Like, some of it is crap. Like, and some of it's good, but on Blackstar, there's bits that are kind of dubstepy and 140, and it's all kind of jazzy stuff, but he's got kind of, 
there's a couple bits where he's clearly because he always paid attention to everything that was happening outside of mainstream music but some of it's just fucking crud and it's like it's alright to just say it's crud too so I think you, you're you definitely picking me up on something here that's you're a nice that, person well no no no, no <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go on raw in a second it's just yeah. I think within my genre I'm just like so thankful and so happy to be doing my just happy bit. to be at work <laughs> yeah that I'm like you know what everyone just crack on it's all for the greater good of the scene yada 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 it might be a bit cliche if you like but that is actually genuinely how I look at it because I just love the music I love what it represents the individuality the you know like like just the expression of it and the beauty of it just is is so personal to me that I think if someone else is enjoying that then great trap music however utter shite <laughs> What is in trap? Is in like I don't know, like noisy. I just weird American EDM trap or like no, trap is so, in like US rap music, right? With a certain like so tone to it. The stuff without the rap, ironically, I can probably yeah, deal no, with right, more. Good, I'm glad you said that. <laughs> yeah, because this is my argument. If you're an MC, they say nothing. Why bother? Just fucking go on. Why bother? So much crap. But I, I've got to be honest. I kind of think this with a lot of drum and bass MCs. Well, yeah, like I don't, I don't know. The only really. The only MCs I know in drum and bass that do tracks, like because I know I'd like to state I know nothing about drum and bass. I'm not pretending to know anything, but I know obviously yourself, DRS, yeah, and linguistics. And then yeah. like I know like SP and LX One MC on yeah. sets, but they don't do like EPs and tracks. Stu, sort of artist stuff. SP does do tracks. He's I've heard just... him on. Yeah, he's on. Is it Juggernaut? Yeah, uh, the Ice Cool Tune. I know yeah. that one. He's uh, he's dreadnought. It's cool. Dreadnought. Sorry, that's yeah. it. Dreadnought. But he's um, he's I think just a bit perfectionist with it. And unless the track is like totally right, I don't think he, mm. you know, really wants to. You know, he's just very I don't know particular. And I think there's kind of a beauty to that with Stuart. I've really got a lot of respect for him for that. I'm definitely cut from a different tree where I look at you do any old do, shit. Well, basically, yeah. Have you heard my music? Mate, it's there for everyone to see. Like, I've been singing on a couple of tracks recently. And Have I, you? I can't when, sing. When did that start? One went out, like, last week. And even John, my housemate, was like, yeah, no, no, it's, it's all right, isn't it? But there's, like, a bit of a, like, weird effect on it. And, yeah, not really. It's all right, but the rent's going up. I'm Mate, sorry, Pete. We're going we're gonna to have to charge you. He really stay. politely, like, just basically told me it was shit, which was quite nice. I appreciate him being kind to me about it. But... Um, <laughs> I actually quite like it, um, but Wait, I, I like to got, be you different. You've got to have a punt anyway. You've got to have a fucking punt. And that's it. And, and for me, it's... There's no money in it anyway. You might as well do what you want. Exactly. You know, and that is... It's, it's all about just doing it for fun, really, isn't it? And I think I'm more cut from the DRS tree where if someone sends me a beat, as long as I like it, I try to dip into the emotion of that particular track and then something, a part of me will come out that maybe people haven't seen before. I'm a mixed bag, man. Isn't You know, that is always the way I've been. You know, people like Shu, SP, he's got, you know, the flow on lock. He has got his style locked down to a T, but I have so many influences and have always, you know, not even from like a rap perspective, like, you know, I come from a huge like background of like Jimi Hendrix and Pink Floyd. That was my upbringing from my dad. And that's the beauty nice. of that kind of, yeah, he had great taste in music, which I'm truly thankful for. And it was just about doing something different. So I like to just dip into the emotion of the track and just, kind of put my own spin on it, if you will. But you're right, there is not much of it around and it's getting more and more, but there's a stigma. You know, I was posting on Instagram today about MCs and drum bass and people. Oh yeah, I saw I saw the RS's thing about that. Yeah, which, you know, he's got a very valid point. Like, 
you know, he's a guy who on my story I've posted, like he's released like more music than 90% of producers and DJs in our game, yet some mid-level DJ will be getting paid the same fee as him. And there's just no clarity there because I know if you put, even the people that have stigma about MCs and drum bass, like Dell, the people that think I'm shit and hate me, like look at that soppy bollocks twat, are like, but DRS, however, <laughs> he's sick. So like, you know, it's just a madness that the equality isn't there really. But I think there's a revolution on the way and there's a lot, it's been spoken about a lot more. So it's gonna be interesting to see what the future holds with that, to be honest. So did you start in hip hop then? Is that kind of how the MC thing came through? Or? I don't really know. Like, how I, did you end up MC? Mate, I think I ended up MC because my mate was a better DJ than me. Oh, did you DJ for right? Yeah, I DJ before MC, and that uh, literally maybe we I had to start MC. What <laughs> a terrible DJ, maybe. <laughs> go the other way. Maybe I should go the other way. You, just chat. You've got the vocab. That's for it, You definitely got chat, the vocab. Yeah, but I have no rhythm. I don't know if I can do anything. So on to time. be fair, that is the thing. I think drumming was where it actually really started for me. If How I do you take, drum? I used to drum. Oh, yeah. yeah, I don't anymore, but I can hold a beat and. That for me is, I think, where the flow, I learned to adapt like rhythm and flow into lyricism, which took me a while because I was terrible for years as, well, most people hopefully are. Maybe it was just me, but... <laughs> well, we're going to find that old Rusko set and find out for Oh, ourselves. my gonna... days, mate. I'm gonna, mate, I'm going to find it. It's going to be in the comments, in the links at the bottom of this I, podcast. I, I know someone who's got it. Like... I mean, I'm going to speak to Reagan. I'll find it. Like... Reagan will... Uh, does that, you know... <laughs> I got, I got my links, know. mate. I'll find it. Yeah, you actually will. So that's the worrying <laughs> thing about it. But yeah, it that was a uh, yeah, you get confused. I, I was actually relatively. We don't need of, your excuses now. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to cover my tracks here a little bit, aren't I? But yeah, I think um, yeah, it's 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 an interesting art form, man. Because you do listen to hip hop now, but so you didn't you didn't start. I assume all I listen to loads of, of hip hop, man. But did yeah. you initially, or is that like a more? I did, you, I, know, I have the worst memory, man. I'm not the worst. I'm the worst <laughs> person for this. I basically don't remember all of my life. Like my missus, <laughs> I remember nothing. She's like constantly on my case. Like you don't you. What is wrong with you? And it's like it almost insulting to people. It's just like honestly, I don't mean to be like this, but that's the way it is. But. Yeah, I listened to hip hop from about the same time I listened to drum and bass, I think. I heard first heard drum and bass when I was 11 years old, and I started MCing when I was 13. So I've been right. MCing for 21 years, but I had definitely been listening to hip hop in that time mm. frame, mostly American. As soon as I got turned on to the UK stuff through like early Task Force, Skinny Man, and then eventually Oh yeah, because yeah, Council of State of Mind was like the first thing we ever Huge. talked about, and, wasn't it? And Foreign Beggars as well, yeah. like um, hey. Hold On was the track, yeah, Asylum Speakers, sick album. But Hold On, that track, like there was so many like pivotal tracks and because it was more relatable for me and that's what music was always about, was being something that was relatable to me, something that I could like deeply connect with because I'm just like I said, soppy bollocks. <laughs> uh, it's just like, that was, I, I honestly, my knowledge of US hip hop these days, like people call me out on it all the time and it's just like, it's just not, like, like I, I have basic knowledge of it, but if you dig a bit deeper, I struggle because as soon as I heard UK, that was me. And you asked me about UK hip hop now and I, you know, I well versed in UK hip hop and I need to really do so myself because my flow is a hip hop flow. And I think mm. that's what you're kind of getting at is that- That's what I mean, yeah, your stuff, like I actually, I actually listened to the catalog earlier today. Okay. And it's more, yeah, like I said, it's like- I don't like a lot of, <laughs> as, as any like true crazy. Yeah, yeah, Stan, it's all shit, mate. <laughs> but um, I thought it was all shit too. 
No, that does not surprise Yes, you did. No, I didn't. There was one good one that I can't remember the name of. Please tell me it was Butterfly Effect. Oh, no, I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> but no, like, I mean, like, to me, like, as, like, MCs and drum and bass and dubstep, the same, really, like, it was always more, that's a live thing for keeping the dance going. Like, it wasn't, like, your stuff seems yeah. to be more like a, an EP, like, listening music. I'd say my last EP on Dispatch, I didn't do that plug. to be listening music. Yeah, <laughs> no, to be honest. I, I, no, I, you can plug your shit, It's mate. one it's of those fine. ones that I, you know, I look back on and I, 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 it's not my best work. But the whole reason is, is Dispatch is a label that really releases rolling drum bass music for dance floors. So they're like 16 bar hooks and that's just what it is because story time in a rave has been very, very difficult for MCs from day dot mm. because it wasn't the initial game plan. It was about the hype. It was about the energy. Yeah, it was just cheer. Yeah. Have a lovely time. Gas music. Which is great. And, you know, like GQ is the like top don of stuff like that. And I, you know, he was an influence for me as, like to getting good at being a host because I was a shit host. I was like a guy who would literally go to the front of the stage, like no, no, but hide at the back of the stage with his eyes closed, looking at the floor, spitting deep and meaningfuls to essentially nobody. Yeah. Hundred people that have done too much ketamine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Basically, they're that. No one's here. asked me. <laughs> yeah, and it's like. I suppose the change that's going on now is that more and more releases, like more and more people releasing music, and you know, DRS again, like is the guy that's top of the game for that. Has just flipped it and he's made it a hip hop thing, and he's a big, you know, he's just done a hip hop art, a hip hop album that is like, you know, a beautiful like piece when, of work. Is he? When is that? Yeah, when? from the deep, really recently, man. All oh, right, yeah, I've totally oh, missed that. Mate, it's wicked, man. You'll really like it. Like proper emotive, just. The thing that I love about Del more than anything, and the thing that I think me and him have in common, and we've like spoken about this, is just like, it's just this raw honesty of, yeah, oh, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm it's, gonna, I'm gonna talk yeah, about my flaws, and you know, you can call me out on them or connect with them or whatever you want to do with them, but I'm just gonna be. But they're there anyway. It's it's not it's non-negotiable. Yeah. and that is, you know, that's the change that is now happening and the adaptation that is going on that is. You know, it's, it's a really good time, I think. And more and more people are listening. It's almost becoming like a bit more hip-hop-esque. Like people are coming for the MC. Like I've seen it more in messages I receive. People talking to me at raves. You know, they're coming for the MC because there is that side of drum and bass where it is really a hip-hop lyrical art form that is not double time I was going to do a really embarrassing like Buddha 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 maneuver <laughs> then that I used to do when I was like 12 years old but yeah like that kind of different style not to par off that style because it has a beautiful place in drum and bass as well because it rolls with the flow and people love that and they connect with it and that's cool but this more conscious side I feel there's a lot of you know it's it's gaining weight at the moment I wonder yeah I wonder it's one of those things I wonder if that's like because like it seems now live like live kind of events raves they're not dead but they're fucking dying on their ass yeah. like largely it's got so difficult to do a rave so now it's like you either sit at home on spotify and listen to music or you go to a festival where it's obviously play the hits straight bangers you know which is where you need your kind of double time rave mc yeah but it's now yeah it's kind of i think i don't know i've found it a little bit just in what i consume it's become more polarized because i'm either I don't really go to festivals as a punter anymore because 
you know, work is, it sort of becomes like your weekend off, you're still at work. Yes. But it's like, you're either at a festival or you're at home listening to Spotify whilst you're doing some other shit, get down the gym, running, cooking, whatever shit. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's almost like the middle, the middle, like rave culture is almost not necessary anymore. It's like you either consume at home where you might want more introspective and deeper stuff and more like co- cohesive album projects or playlists. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> and then you're at festivals where you're just obviously doing a 60 minutes of bangers and it's like it's like the middle's been squeezed out. I, I, I feel that a bit at the I, minute. I think that's, yeah, that's a really interesting point, actually. I'm quite positive about um, not that whole... Uh, you're context. quite positive about everything. Yeah, but not that, that, doesn't, whole that con- doesn't count. Not that whole context you spoke of, but just the part of the, the, the Spotify side of things and people actually listening to conscious drum and bass... That's a big thing at the moment. And yeah, you can't really make money off streams unless you start hitting, you know, the millions. But at the same time, your music is getting out there and people are listening to it. Obviously, there's the flip of that, like you said, and the rave culture, it's not the core essence of what it used to be, but there are still pockets of that about. Mm. And there are, and you know, even if you go to Europe and stuff, and I play in Europe, it's like, because... They're not effectively catching up, but because they're sort of having their own journey, it's you get to experience different parts of that on a wider scale. So I think there's beauty in that as well. But definitely the Instagram generation, like I know we spoke about earlier, but it's just like kids are going out and getting fucked up way less than they used to. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and it's not like, good for business in the rave culture. Yeah, sure. And it's also not good. I don't think it's good for kids. Like, it's not any healthier. It's like now, it's really... I mean, I'm not saying it's cool to go get fucking horribly fucked up because you haven't dealt with your issues for 20 years and like you just put it all into <laughs> cocaine or whatever. But I don't know. I just When you see kids being like, yeah, at the smoothie bar with the gang, and it's like, I don't know. Maybe as a 30-year-old man, I'm a bit cynical. But I'm like, that's not as much fun as, you know, trying to find your way home from Vauxhall at 4 a.m. when obviously no one can get out of Vauxhall because it's geographically makes no sense. I don't... You can't get a cab... Like that's part of like just trying to fucking trying to get your shit together. Your phone's dead, so Uber's off the cards. You end up getting in with some weird Turkish guy who's like possibly going to sell you a kebab or stab. Like it's that part. That's I. I don't know. I. I think that's all really funny. And like where we, I. I grew up in the sticks. So like trying to get home from these rural raves, that was all like really shit, but funny. Like you know, yeah, a four-hour an adventure. Yeah, we walked home from a thing once. It took like four and a half hours. We bought like ten beers from a petrol station, and it ended us. It ended with us dressing a bit of roadkill in a hoodie and like making it dance, <laughs> just because we were so like. As you do. Yeah, we'd just been on the. You'd been on the road for four hours. You're a bit delirious. You'd had loads of booze. And that. So with the the, the thing yeah. you picked up. And I just yeah, well, yeah he, he'd had more than a skin. For but I just feel like you know sitting at home on Instagram being like we're having a mad night. We've all had a dab of MD and we've got Spotify on. Yeah, I'm a bit like I don't know if that's the same shit. No, it's not. Like, I always had time for those. And there's less money nights. in there. Like I like a night in too, but no one gets paid off a night in except your drug dealer. Yeah, <laughs> that, that is actually the, the, that's the sad truth of it. Like, yeah, I think I think from my perspective, it would be more. That I think those raving moments when you're stripped bare, regardless of drugs you've taken or what's going on, you're. Why are you getting naked if you haven't done drugs? (laughs) How does that even even come about in a rave? (laughs) Especially from an emotional perspective. That's what I'm saying. If you're just having a really hard time, why are you getting naked in the middle of a club? Maybe you should be at home. (laughs) Maybe, yeah. Literally send that guy home. 
<laughs> get him the one cab outside. <laughs> outside of, if you're naked in Vauxhall, you, uh, you oh, yeah, if you're naked in Vauxhall, you don't even get kicked out. <laughs> no. you? you ain't even getting kicked out of the rave if you're naked in Vauxhall. It's, it's like literally encouraged, if anything. But yeah, I think it's more those connections with people. And like, as much as being at home or, in fact, scrap the doing MD and being at home. Because I think if you're, if you're in that environment having a little part of your friends, I quite like those ones because you actually talk and, you know, you actually... If you talk noise. Yeah, but you're always <laughs> talking noise, but... I mean, I'm always talking noise, there are, that, there but... are moments though, and it's that connectivity with it, between people that I think is being a bit lost these days because we're not connecting on a face-to-face basis or from an emotional standpoint. We're literally just putting, we're projecting ourselves online to be something we're effectively not. Well, that's I think yeah, that, that's, that, the, that's a very bleak appraisal of it, but unfortunately, no, that's no, how, bleak is that good. Is kind it's, of how it's I see all, it. It's all that is the problem now. As I said earlier, it's like the artifice now is actually more valuable, but it's traded as the truth. Like yeah, it's like there's a uh, there's a pop star in I think it's Japan who's totally CGI. She is a, a digital construct. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's um, no. she's a, so there's a track, Big Boy and Killer Mike, Kill Jill. Yeah. And the chorus is by this pop star who, as far as I'm aware, is a, a CGI construct and the voice is, is built out of some fucking algorithmic what whatever. fuck? But then I was like, I, I got into this because I overthink. I literally listen to Big Boy and Killer Mike tracks and then think about it for two weeks. I overthink the most dumb shit. But I got into a point where I was like, but I find that weird because the fact that you know it's a CGI pop star who is totally fake and fabricated and built by a team of genius tech people, that's actually now more real than someone on Instagram who's had plastic surgery who's got a new single out. That's cold, like it actually, No, but it actually is, though. It's, actually, it, like, there's someone it's saying, cold, but it actually like, is. Like, turning up now and saying, I am 100% fake and constructed to meet a target audience is more real than pretending you're real to meet a target audience. Yeah. And we've now got into this horrible, I'm, well, I say we, I'm in a horrible <laughs> conceptual black I'm, hole where I'm like, all these artists talk about, oh, I'm about the community, but like behind the scenes, they're robbing someone or, you know, not paying their label dues. As we were talking about which, earlier, Yeah, which yeah. like there's a the, million The music labels. industry on the whole, Yeah, basically. exactly. Like, it's like the wellness <laughs> thing. There's all these companies that are like talking about the welfare of their staff on Instagram. Yeah. But then people are getting sacked at random and not getting a pay rise or whatever the fuck it is. <laughs> and it's like, well, so that's all shit. So it's actually more realistic for a company to turn up and go, we're total liars and we're going to say whatever you need to hear to buy our product. That's now more real than the lies that everyone is now spouting on Instagram and has become an industry. At least they're holding like integrity. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's an integrity to their lives. <laughs> like, though yeah. you're a complete cunt. Yeah, exactly. You're such <laughs> At a least cunt. you're being yeah. honest about it. You're an it. integral cunt. Like, <laughs> It's that thing, like, and it's like the wellness thing, like I said, like people doing yoga for 12 hours a day mm. is as unhealthy mentally as doing drinking for 12 hours a day. Like, you just shouldn't be, but it's mm, now. Moderation is. Yeah, exactly. Is but, but no one wants moderation now. You're either in or you're out. You're either left or you're right. You're committed or you're not. You're part of the scene or you're not. You're mainstream or you're indie. There's literally no, there's no grey areas. You now have to be definite on everything you do. And it's. I mean, I mean, it's a fucking mess. It is a complete mess. And, you know, it, it, it's worrying because the lines are so blurred with everything these days. I know we touched upon it earlier, but I just, you know, from a media perspective, I don't know what to believe anymore. And then there's this whole, like you, I, I thought about earlier when you were talking about like the Instagram bits and it's just like, you know, you can be an influencer now. 
and that, yeah. can, that can be your job well, yeah, to, it's to in, influence mental. sheep who effectively will just believe whatever you say, but whether it's necessarily true or not, just because maybe you have a bit of character and a bit of but charisma. But they're, they're not necessarily even sheep. It's like they're just lost. Yeah. And you're the first person to turn up in the right T-shirt and go, come over here. <laughs> I've got music and beer. Like, come on, everyone. Yeah, and everyone's yeah. like, oh, we don't know what we're fucking doing. And so it's not even the people that follow its fault. Like, I think the sheep thing's a little bit, of, not offensive, but I think it's a bit oh, disrespectful. Oh, no, it definitely was a bit offensive, yeah. So many people are, like, lost generally. Like, I don't know what the fucking doing. So if someone turns up going, hi, I'm, I'm really honest, I'm 100% that guys. guy as well. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm, I'm, like, I'm, I'm putting brilliant. myself in that bracket. Like, because, you know, we're all guilty of it. And it's very, the, the problem is it's very difficult to avoid. You can't avoid well, you it. Can't, it's you in your face. And as well, like we, like we were saying, we keep talking about shit we didn't talk about on air, which is obviously great for a podcast. <laughs> Don't you worry about that. We're not about quality control here. <laughs> but like... That's why you've got me on, right? Mate, I've lost my fucking point now anyway. <laughs> what the fuck was I going to say? Uh... Hang on, let me just, we can edit this bit. It'll be fine, it'll be fine. No one will even know me. That's the whole point. Spot the joint. Such is modern life. Spot the joint, exactly. Yeah, no one's going to know. But, um, no, it's gone. Never mind. I had a good rant on me, but I've not quite You've always it. got a good rant on you, but it's a very valid one, and it is a bit of a sad existence to, to a certain extent. I just, I'm interested and sort of optimistically excited about what the future holds, whether that's blind optimism or not. It, it, most, it most probably it, it totally is. is. <laughs> Usually is with me, but totally. I, just, I just sit there blinkered like a horse running around a, running around a like tree a, on a, on a like Thursday afternoon. Like a horse on a train not getting paid as it wins the Grand National. <laughs> and yeah, then being killed yeah. when, it's, when it's no good for use it, anymore. It ends in you getting shot and being sold to a French restaurant. Kind of a nice, like... <laughs> like tra- transition for how an MC is in drama yeah, yeah, exactly. used used to the best of his ability. We'll totally come back to the point aside. we started on. <laughs> cast well, actually, aside at the end of it. If I was to give drum and bass any credit, which I would rather not, but obviously no, I'm not. I'm not that against it. Is shit. Yeah, you are. You like no, a bit I, of jungle, though, don't you? I like a bit. Yeah. See, I, I think I think it's just the tempo. I think at one sixty, yeah. I can get with. Yeah. I just find. The energy, one seven, is it one seven four? Is the one standard. seven four is like usual, but a lot of people play it faster in clubs. Some people play it I just, slower. I just like find it varies, once it really. like, once it drops and like hits, it just is flat out. And I my, that for me does nothing. I like the kind of booky in and out weird stuff, which is great. And, and I, I find think, it be a bit flat. But the thing is, there's a lot of people that would be, you know, they could like talk about that for hours because they have literally seen. The scene become effectively throwaway music based on weekly releases that actually get no traction, zero support for the artist, and it's you know kind of a bit of a soulless existence when the music is like forgotten about. There's very rare that you hear classics these days. I wouldn't say I say very rare. It's a bit harsh because I love the music, but it's just not built in the same way that it was. Which is why when you said you interviewed like. Total Science, Digital and Spirit. It must have been quite cool because they actually... Well, I didn't really know who they were. <laughs> I got sent down there. After I read up, I was like, shit, squad. Like, and they were all yeah. fucking legends. Like, right. They were proper quality and, like, crew. Pro- probably like, really down to earth, I would yeah. imagine, with regards to music. I know the Total Science boys really well. Um, and, you know, like the music they make is effectively like modern day jungle and it definitely would appeal to you more than the, right. the majority of drum bass that is made it has that core essence and you know it's a bit um 
uh, ugly for lack of a better word, but like not ugly. It's just, but it's 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 raw in its essence. See, yeah, see, like, that's why I like, jungle's <clears> got <throat> a bit of crud on it. I just call it crud. Yeah. It just sounds like it's been it's got a bit of crud in there. Like, yeah, it's like, like, like the difference between vinyl and digital almost. It's yeah, like, I know. I don't get. I don't fucking sign into that shit. I've do you not? No, it's some bullshit. Like, <laughs> but I've but got. A what about when huge, you mix? I can't. Well, I can't mix overweight, so it's irrelevant. It's <laughs> irrelevant what? what the format go, is. Go, go around Springer's yard. Oh no, I'm not. Yeah, no, you've got to do it. I'm and literally have a vinyl mix and fall in love with mixing no. because that is the difference, and that might be where you're missing the trick. Because for me, Perhaps. DJing, but like I enjoy, I I mix, man. I've done a couple sets out recently, um, and I love mixing on a digital setup. And, you know, we do it at our house, me, Galaxy, Spec One, and um, Debesh, our other housemate, like always having a little blend here and there, but there's nothing. And, you know, Springer's comes out to my yard. What's, it, what's his name? Capture. Little plug for you, oh, Jack. Yeah, shout out Capture. <laughs> shout out Capture, the original Don, who nobody knows about, but he's sick. But he came around and he's like, learned, you know, how to mix on CDJs. And now he's doing a few sets, but... Me and him were always talking about there's nothing like a vinyl mix. From the very picking up the aesthetic of a vinyl, looking at the sleeve, appreciating it for what it is in both visual and um, like literal format, and putting it on a plate and then struggling to get it in time. Not so much these days, but like from my early days, I still have those memories of being like, this is an absolute mission. Whereas now, it's not, and the beauty of when you got it right, there's nothing that really has ever emulated that feeling digitally for me. So that's why I'm slightly biased towards one. Yeah, Sound-wise, you're right. Call me out. Well, no, it's, no, fast, it's not but... even that. No, I don't give a shit. <laughs> Things I don't give a shit about the sound. Like the problem is, I feel like a proper spiv at this point because, like, I I literally hear all that, and I'm like, that's how that's how my head works. Like, as as we were saying, I don't like social media. I like to interact with. It's why I do podcasts. I like to talk to people, sit in a room. Which you're, you're I don't want to fucking yeah. do it on Skype and all that, but like. <laughs> Then I put a record on because maybe it's... And I design vinyl sleeves for a living. So it's like, I actually... I work in the industry I'm killing. But I like... I sit there and I It's put, all your fault, yeah, man. I saw, I mean, I put a record on. I'm like, right, get some design on, get me beer. Having a drink. And it's like, ah, oh, fuck, four tracks. I've got to change side now. I've got to get up again. Ugh. And then I'm like, I want to put that next album on. Now I've got to look at my rack because my rack's not organised at all. I've yeah. got about 3,000 records that are just on a shelf are you doing like cross genre when you're doing that this is I love, mixing, yeah but I, I put no I don't mix I just put on records cool. as I work but okay, I like yeah. I will I, I can roll from like I can listen to like <laughs> in fact the last two records I bought together on a drunken discog shop I got Lloyd Banks The Hunger For More on Gatefold yes. Double Vinyl <laughs> And the soundtrack to The Jewel of the Nile starring Michael Douglas. Oh my God, amazing. Off, off the same cellar. I, I tried to watch that the other day, it's, no lie, with the missus. fucking missing. terrible, but Mate, great. but terrible, yeah, but Yeah, banger, yeah, fucking well good. <laughs> Shit, Indiana Jones with old corporate sleeves to Michael Douglas. Yeah. that is actually exactly, that's it's so literally, random you mentioned like, that. It's like if Indiana Jones to tried it. to finger the secretary over the photocopier in an office. <laughs> That's that's the only way I can describe Michael Douglas in that film. Oh my like, god, that is actually it's like every like boyhood yeah, fantasy exactly. mixed up into some shit film. And he's, he Indiana adve- Jones. He adventures around the world, but you might also get piped off by the water cooler. Like there's, you can believe it do either in his sort of salmon coloured shirt. <laughs> but yeah, the last two records I bought were those. But like, I love playing records, but then I just have to get up and change sides. When I'm working, yeah. and when I'm in work, I just like Spotify, I just put it on. Yeah. But I've tried, this is fucking pathetic, but I sort of feel like it's my little bit. So now when I, when I work, 
whatever record I want to put on on my decks and I can't be asked to get up and flip it every... T- and especially with, like, electronic music, because a lot of it's for DJing. Yeah. You get one track aside, which means you're up every four minutes, which is, like, some incontinent shit. That's like trying to go to bed when you're 80. I'm not... <laughs> not fucked with that <laughs> so like whatever I want to put on from my decks I put it on on Spotify so I'm like I want to listen to that record and I see the record on the shelf and I know I want to put the record on Yeah. but I just put it on on Spotify because it means I have to keep changing sides but, Yeah. And I, and I complain about Spotify on every level like the payment Plan. The payment thing needs it's, addressing. Like, it's fucking abysmal. Though. But then I also just go, ah, oh, it's just going to be easier because I've got shit to do. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm exactly the same. Like, I, I would have, I've had numerous conversations about, you know, the pay ratio and, but, but you, you just can't question the usability. I know there. that's the problem, like, isn't it? The convenience just trumps everything. Yeah, and but I think in the long run, I'm just hoping that it levels itself out. And like you said, maybe I'm blindly. I mean, yeah, you're an idiot. It's I, not getting any better. <laughs> but like, I just think I don't know. Exposure-wise, I'd like to think that I've had more people sort of be bought into my musical fold. Oh, because they can actually through find the realms it. of Spotify, mm. and whether that's the case or not. I'm not entirely sure because the majority of people what that I get like messages off will be like, oh yeah, that was a sick rave, like smashed mm. it. Or so yeah, yeah, so that's but drum and bass again, it's a weird one. Like something I will I do really admire about B and B from as an outsider, I don't know if it's true, but it's like it seems it can kind of do you can have like a top ten D and B hit, mm. but then it's still rolling in the background on the underground and always cooking. And then there's like big some, crossover some things and it yeah. keeps it never kind of checks out of either. Like there's always a kind of a D&B tune somewhere in the charts. Yeah. And there's always the underground, whereas the stuff I listen to, like grime, dubstep, has kind of gone chart, back to underground, back to... Like it's kind of been more polarised, whereas D&B seems to be at an age where it can move seamlessly between the two and you just find what you like. Like it doesn't... It seems to have become sustainable. It's like the first one of them, I think, that really feels like it can do both. I think due to the level... Uh, the, the, sorry, due to the fact that the foundations of drum and bass were built so strongly and through like such adversity of being like, we're having a rave, fuck you, this is our music, and people literally lived and breathed it for so long and fought so hard to get it to that point, I think that has stood it in good stead. And the majority of people I speak to, you've always got, you know, a few negative heads that all you know be like oh you know the commercial side shouldn't exist or whatever but i think the majority of people are actually quite happy at the way that those let's let's break it down just to two sides because i don't want to get into like 50 sub but like you know the commercial and underground aspects of drum base do sort of fuel each other and there are definitely like there is no question in my eyes that someone who's heard like a wilkinson track or a sigma track or something has been drum and bass, has then looked into the genre further and then started listening to some metalheads music because they're just keen and they want to do their research and they're passionate about it and, you know, just as much as it's gone the other way. And I think that sort of figure of eight of people just discovering the music and then getting involved in the other aspects of it is what is the is what is the key reason that it has survived as long as it has in the face of 
you know, great music industry adaptation and change that, you know, really doesn't favour underground <laughs> music artists. It doesn't favour anyone that makes music, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Like, yeah. It doesn't favour <laughs> shit. No, and as well, though, I think the same thing, though. Like, I, like there's people that, like, when, when, like, dubstep popped off, like, obviously that's kind of my reference point because that's what I know a lot better. Yeah. But, like, there were people that, like, almost can't make a living now. And they got to, like, fucking go to P. Diddy's house party and play some bullshit. Or like you know, like it went it went so big that it's like even well, if, and, and now they can't make a living. Not can't there. make a living, but like you went you know, you go from being able to play like fucking ten thousand people in America to yeah. barely doing three hundred people in a shutdown club in London. Like, you know It's and crazy, it's, isn't it? Yeah, but I sort of think if that's that's how most things go, that's the ebb and flow of trends. But it's like if you only get that one bit, surely that's like that one big peak, even if it's not credible or it's not cool. Surely that's better than just being in your bedroom for 20 years, being unable to do shit because you never made any money. Like, I think you need you need to make some money to get on with what you want to do. And if you have to do... A, I kind you're, of get you're promoting selling out, basically. Well, no, I'm not promoting... I wouldn't say selling out, but like Scorsese, as a, like as a film director, Scorsese's kind of mentality was one for me, one for the studio. So he'd do something that would be more of a mainstream hitter then he'd do something that he absolutely wanted to do. I think that's great. And to have, well, yeah. well, interestingly, I think Scorsese's best films are his one for the studios. Like, I like The Departed, I like Shutter Island. And then his one for me is like the, what's the one with Andrew Garfield, the religious one with Liam Neeson, where they're Catholic preach. It's, it's like, it's, I mean, it's, it's like a huge, deep film and it's, it's good, but it's really dry and it's really slow. And to be quite honest, I just enjoyed The Departed more. But like the only reason he could make it is because he'd done shit like The Departed and they had kind of chips in the bank. That's really interesting. Yeah. And I, I, I get it. If, if, if that's his thing, it doesn't, he probably doesn't give a shit that I like the one that's the studio one more. I think, I'm, I'm with I think it. variety I'm, is the sort of spice of life. Isn't and that, it? yeah, there's so many good artists that just make the same thing because it's what sells. And I'd rather hear, yeah. him, I'd rather hear him make a car crash I don't like. And where then I'm saying like, this. Well, yeah, but even if I'm like, that's awful, but fair one, you totally went over there when yeah. I was expecting you to stay in this little tiny lane here. I'm all for it, mate. I'd say crash, crash and burn is always better than safe in the middle lane. I rate that because I think that's a very unique perspective. I'm a crash and burn music. Yeah, but when you think of how many people are into an artist and they make an album that's completely different because they they just... Sorry, I am I am I allowed to express my like yeah, right really. to freedom? Yeah, but like, mean. are you or are you not? Because as soon as you do that... Critics are on you, yeah. everyone's on you, and it's just like realistically, they just made something because they want to make it. Like, why should someone be stopped from doing that just because they're expected to fall into line with, you know, their past? Or it's it's a it is a madness. Well, that's, that's why I'm almost an advocate of the day job now because like yeah. if you get a day job that's not your music. Don't tell me that now, mate. It's bad timing. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a sensitive subject. Uh oh, I haven't got one. We can trim this out. It's fine. <laughs> no, no one will ever know. It's not a joke. <laughs> but it's like if if your if your revenue is not based on what you make. Yes. Then you don't have to worry about making stuff for revenue. You can yeah. do what you fucking want. And I yes, yeah, so I'm. I'm kind of about it. Like, if, if it takes, if you do a big single and then you can go make two albums of purely what you want, who gives a shit if no one likes it? If that's what your head's saying, do I'm 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 about it. I, I kind of back that as well. Like when I worked with Will uh, Wilco, like one of the things that he always said, like he wanted to make music that um, affected sort of as many people as possible, and he wanted to be a big, you know, groundbreaking artist in the scheme of like history. 
It, you know, and he was very open and vocal about that. He was like, he doesn't want to talk to his kids in 10 years time and then be like, oh, so you were a drum and bass DJ, but you're, what, poor, didn't do it yeah. full time, but you just stuck to your guns and did that. But that was his viewpoint. I think it's just, music has always been about freedom of expression. And I think you should just be able to do what the fuck you want to do, because let's face it, in modern life, that is a rarity. And music was the one thing that let us do that. Mm. I think the most bleak thing about what we're speaking about now is the fact that as the industry changes, that ideology around it changes. Like quite, it's changed yeah, quite it's drastically. It's up hugely. Yeah, it has. And that's the reason I got into it. I just wanted people to like, you know, I wanted to connect with people effectively and, you know, express myself. And, you know, from whatever perspective that was from, it, it was something that I just always wanted to do. I didn't want to be told how to do it. And that's why the commercial thing didn't work for me. They tried to tell me how to MC, And I was like, okay, you want to change me? Let's see how that goes. And I got fired. Well, and... I find it weird as well. <laughs> <laughs> Rightfully so. I was a shit host. <laughs> I'm not the right person in the job. And I didn't wear black every year. Yeah, fine. <laughs> I find it weird though, because people are more risk averse than ever. Like I or I feel they are personally because obviously you need your because you're only getting a twelve quid off Spotify you need your yeah. ten thousand streams to get your twelve quid <laughs> so it's like you've got to stick to your thing but it's like it's never been easier to be forgotten because there's so much yes. data coming out all the time like there's yes. fucking a billion releases a day on Spotify and you can listen to all of them instantly yeah so like I used to when I was like I hate this when I when I were a nipper. But like I used to like you'd save up for a week to buy an album. I thought you bought your your North. Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it's still like that though. I didn't even it's, it's even worse. They haven't even got Spotify. But like it used to be, you'd save up for a week to buy an album, and then you didn't have shit else for like a week, maybe two. So like I have an in-depth knowledge of albums that aren't very good because I bought it, and it's like, well, I'm getting my fucking fifteen quid's worth, mate. Like I'm, you know. So I can talk about like Chingy's second album is terrible, but I could Chingy, you know, I could possibly no MC along to half of Chingy's second album. Can we, can we do that, um, mate? That's totally it's a bonus, bonus feature, mate. Bonus feature. All right, that's about as bonus feature as mine. <laughs> set with Roscoe is going to be. <laughs> we'll do one each. I'll MC to a Chingy tune. We'll get you we'll Roscoe. We'll bring you a three-minute snippet yeah. of my worst, worst outtakes from Roscoe. Right, set, no, I'll pick the worst. I'll pick the worst tune off. Chingy's second album, which is pretty bad. I mean, I don't even know if there's one. I, I, I bet I'm going to trump it, like, genuinely. I'll, I'll, I mean, I'll be I've got faith in you. <laughs> For once. Yeah. But, um, where was it? Yeah, but, like, you had to, like, you bought an album and it was like, you kind of stuck with it for two weeks. Yeah. Even if you wanted to take it back to the shop and be like, i got two for my birthday, I need to swap one, and yeah. all your bullshit to get it back, you still had to deal with it for a week. Whereas on Spotify, if you don't like something, you skip off instantly. And I think even good stuff, I find it now, there's albums I love, but then I'm like, what was that album that I was listening to all last week? And I've 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 got so many other albums that I've been listening to. I just forgot about it's it, and it's lost it's in lost yeah. lost in the ether of data. Mm. And it's it's a weird time. So it's like it's never been a better time in a weird way because no one's making any money anyway. You're financially free to take risks because you're literally not paying your rent. It's it's a hobby. Yeah. At the end of the day, like you said, you have to have a day. It's kind of kind of is, it, yeah. but it's like you're so free financially because you're not paying your bills with it mostly. Yeah. Or even if you're trying to, you're probably not managing. So you are free to experiment because it's not your day job. There's less pressure as well. Yeah, and yeah. also everyone's going to forget within 10 hours how shit it was or wasn't. So you might as well just do what you fucking want. And I don't get how it's got more conservative as these things have come more into play. I'm like, surely everyone should be getting more give a fuck. 
And it's actually gone the other way. So you, you think from a general perspective it has actually got more conservative? I, I think I, in the music <clears throat> I listen to, I find it harder and harder to sign things I like. And I find it harder and harder to find albums now that I really get excited about. Yeah. But maybe that's just because I've hit 30s and I'm cynical as fuck and nothing excites me anymore. And that's my problem personally. So, but I don't, I don't find stuff I latch onto like I used to. Yeah, I, th- I think for me, I'm very blinkered with my musical taste and with what I listen to. And in DMV and hip hop, I can actually find what you're saying you're like missing right. UK hip hop I don't I don't think anyone like you listen to Dirty Dyke album he hasn't tailored that to fucking anyone Mate, he's I, just so, having an absolute bubble on yeah, a mic so I think I think sucking on prawns in the moonlight is absolutely his peak I thought it was amazing and I was like this is the so but I was like this is the guy I was waiting for like I've been here yeah. waiting for this guy for however long and then when I heard his new ones I was like they're fine Yeah, and it was like that one just for me because it was kind of like I think I love the high focus stuff, but for me it gets a bit like there's just loads of tracks about weed, which I don't smoke, so I'm not asked. Yeah. And then there's loads of tracks about how fucked up they get, and it's like, yeah, we're just all getting wasted because we're high focus wasters. But then that album for me was like it showed the dark underbelly of it was like the fallout of all the previous albums. It can. Do you listen I've, to Baxter? Yeah. So I've, I've yeah. Mi- uh, is mentioned. It, is it Mansion Seventy Three? Um, no, Man- Mansion. Whatever the number is, uh, 80, that mate, that, that was so Fuck. sick. Like those We've two, got two albums. Pissed before this baby. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we're too, we're too <laughs> smashed for numbers now. We can cut them in later. It's fine. Just get on Google quickly. Hold we'll just, on. You'll just dub that in. That's Shh. all right. Cut. Yeah, exactly. That's all right. Mansion Thirty Eight didn't even need it. Google. There you go. Yes. Yeah, that's a great record, man. Right. Those two are like, and I really like Monkey. You know, went to uh, by, Asia to record that album. Yeah, because that's where what's his like, name, that's where what's his name studio is, isn't it? Who? Um. Not Pete Cat, the producer. Oh, fuck, we're too drunk for this. Yeah. So I'll dub it over. It'll sound like I know what I'm talking about. Anyway, pretty sure uh, whoever it is they record with has a studio out in Thailand. I'm sure oh, that's. I didn't actually know that. Yeah, I'm yeah, sure yeah. that's where his station is, and that's why they like they all record out there. I'm sure that's what it is. It's not chemo, is it? Yeah, yeah, I think it, it is. is. I think chemo, he's got. I think he lives out in Thailand. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. At all. I might have just made that up. That might no, be fucking but, rubbish. Mate, I. I I don't doubt your knowledge on this sort of stuff, but yeah, probably, I, I, probably I, shit. <laughs> probably shit. It's what we come back. Yeah, yeah, go on. Just leave it rolling. I'll just come back. Yeah. <laughs> Chop that out and all. Check this. This is professional marker. Uh, yeah, Mansion Thirty Eight is sick, mate. So good. Um, all, all of his stuff for me. Um, yeah, he's. He's become a sort of more recent influence, but I'm not sure if he's directly influenced me. It was just, I find a lot of my influences these days are just people that are, like I, I just connect with because they're doing a similar thing to what I'm doing. I think the vulnerability in his music is bleakly beautiful. That's like, why it's like it's so like, fucked up and bleak. That's why I like but, sucking on prawns. It's <clears> like, <throat> it takes all of his... Because like he's got all the like return of the twat all them tunes where he's yeah. like drunk twat but yeah sucking on prawns is like he's still the twat but it's he's not quite confident that that's how he should be in this. It's got a soft there's, yeah. There's, there's a slight front to it. Yeah, there's a total downside to it all, which yeah. I really, I really, I like that. I connect with that more. I think and yeah. Mansion had the same thing that kind of like it's yeah. kind of cocky. Yeah. So we ate them whole. Yeah. That's that, good, actually. Yeah. That for me is game-changingly good. I'm now, I'm now on a mad dabbler hype. 
because he's he's the post opposite to anything like I can't be funny on a mic. It's just not in my remit. Like I don't. That it's not the way that I MC or I, I'm just always about deepness and like I said it's just that soppy bollocks kind of shit where Dab is like nice fuck that yeah exactly like, let's just talk about absolute jargon jokes bullshit because we're all taking life too seriously and I, I honestly at the moment I am rinsing Dabbler like like all Mate, the all the I time think, I think Monkeyville's one of those great albums Mate, that, like, I think the whole thing the video, the video is like it's like What's being racist towards his heritage like that he's got it all in there like. him doing the te- doing the Wimbledon commentary oh. I've never I didn't I've never seen that and when you showed me that I thought that was the fun I thought that was fucking brilliant Mate, like, he's he's gold man like he's sitting but like, he's really under like because obviously he's like part of problem child with yeah. Illa and, and Double H uh, Double H yeah, yeah but yeah. like before that, like I always knew him because that was kind of where I came in. Like UK rap was where I, when I first got yeah. into hip hop, I kind of obviously I came in via US stuff like everyone, but I very quickly found that I, like I found Roll Deep just as in at the deep end come out. So like, and oh, cool, Dizzy yeah. Rascal's first album, I remember that coming out. Yeah, like I, Game and, Changer, still yeah, my favorite of his. But where so. I was, where I was, I was getting like abused. I was getting called a wigger because I listened to like where I am was like. <laughs> Mate, Fucking so hell. just to confirm, the school I went to, there was one black kid, one Chinese kid, two Indian people, and everyone else was white. Like, it's the where I'm from is the whitest, most rural area. So me listening wow. to hip-hop was, like, just beyond... Comprehension. Yeah, and I, I used to get so much shit for it. Like, <laughs> yes, Bayfield. Yeah, no, it's fine. Flying, flying the exactly. e- ethnical flag well, I just, deep in I just didn't give Yarmouth. up. I just thought it was good. I was like, who gives a fuck? Like, who cares? But then it's, like, fine to listen to, you know, Jimi Hendrix, but rap music is bullshit. It's weird, isn't it? And it's, yeah. But again, it's, like, where I'm from, there's a really weird... It's horribly, like I said, with a, I think with the third... Statistically, the third most Brexit town in Britain. Really? Just as a side, not saying that's anything to do with it. Just saying. But, <laughs> got, to, got to get onto that. But like, I've literally sat in pubs where people have sat and been really disgustingly fucking racist, and you're like, "Do you want to shut up with your fucking shit?" And then they go put Bob Marley on the jukebox and spend the whole afternoon listening to reggae. De- delusional, yeah. Yeah, but but it's like they don't even make the connection because there's no they've never seen anyone from a culture outside of white rural Britain. It's almost like they don't equate these things. It's like they're separate. But yeah, well, so when I was getting like, yeah, I, I got in like early grime and I don't really know how I did. And I've thought about this before because we didn't have the internet at the time. I didn't, like, I don't really know how I kind of just got into hip hop and stuff like that because yeah. there was not really anything to feed it in. I didn't know anyone that liked it. None of my mates liked it. I just kind of found it and then that was all I listened to for so long. Wicked. But I got into, yeah, so I came in on like the really early Roll Deep stuff. And, you know, all the early UK stuff. But when I found out, I was like, this makes more sense to my ears. Like, yeah. as much as I love the over-the-top flamboyant US shit, like, yeah. you know, when it was, like, fucking dipset. That was a place, 100%. Yeah. yeah, but, like, the UK stuff, I got more because... It, and a lot of it had the deadpan humour and the yeah. kind of... Because America's all about saying how good you are at all times, whereas UK hip-hop's kind of built on being a bit like, we're shit, but we're still doing it. Like, Cussing ourselves yeah, that's, off. Like, because they couldn't floss. Brilliant sarcasm. Yeah. <laughs> the point was like, we're broke, but we're still doing it. So yeah. like, yeah, all that early shit, that was kind of... So yeah, I, I agree, it's like... For me, like, my biggest influence in UK hip-hop was Jest. And, and if, if I was going to say... Like, I'll always say, like, DOS is a more recent influence, but I think recent influences, they didn't directly sort of tailor 
or affect my journey because I was already doing what I wanted to be doing and I was already expressing myself in the way I wanted to express myself. Just, however, the way that he did things and his just the intricacy with his metaphors and the vague, the, 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 the depth to how like vague he could be, but it could then be interpreted in like many different ways. Like I, I will a hundred percent, that's a testament to Jess because I will try to write things that are, I hope, I hope cleverly vague enough that somebody will interpret it in a particular way, but someone else will be thinking I'm talking about something totally different so that the bar becomes personalized to the person listening to it. Cause that was what it was always about for me. And I definitely got that from Jest. I, I think that was, or, or I was on that journey very early on and that was why I went that direction. And I think DRS is cut from the same tree, whether Jess was an influence of his, I'm sure he probably wasn't because roughly a similar age, but I think it's just that level of wanting to sort of express yourself in your own way, but almost confuse people and just like really make it a bit, I don't know, it's almost a bit of a cop-out. It's like, I wasn't clever enough to come with sick punchlines that make people laugh, so I'm going to do this weird expansive stuff that hopefully people can get deeply involved with and connect with on an individual level. Yeah, but that's, that's interesting because like, that's like, there's similar in like folk music, like things like Neil Young is really, his stuff is like, lyrically doesn't, it does make sense, but it's not specific. It's very, it's very poetic, but it doesn't necessarily have an obvious meaning. Mm. And then the amount of discussions, I've seen Nick Cave is a similar kind of writer where you look on a thread on like Lyric Genius or some shit, and the amount of different opinions of what it means. Wow. And it's vague enough that everyone can attach to it on their own level. Like that's a that's a skill beyond being literal. Like yeah. that's kind of why I hate political rap. Because when you get political, you have to be usually you're very blunt. It's like the fucking Tories are shit yeah. or whatever. And it's like that's good, but it's so earnest and so blunt that I'm like a bit it's something about it switches off in me. Whereas yeah. when I have to think about it and ponder, Tom Waits is another great songwriter that does the same thing. Like it's allegorical enough that you can graft your own meaning onto it. Yeah. So it doesn't. It almost doesn't matter what they meant by it because you've got your version of what it means to you. Uh, and that's it. And then of course the bonus is five different people can have five different opinions on it, but they all agree it's well good. Yeah. So it's like it meets in the middle. And that's yeah, definitely. I, I get what you're saying. That's definitely totally. the game plan. I think like it's almost from a point where like I I remember like when I was like a weed head, and like used to smoke on a daily basis. It would almost be like. I'm going to write something that I can, at the end of it, I'm confused. <laughs> it's not hard when you're stoned. Like, you're probably confused when you started, to be honest. But... Literally, there was no progression. I was like, started, middled, and ended exactly the same I'll way. Smash just... this. Hang on, this is just a shopping list. No, I'm not. Looking at it sober going, oh, shit, I did it again. You've, just, no. written all the flavors. You've just written all the flavours of McCoy's. But, oh, no. but now that I'm sober, you know, it's okay to do that. And it, it's <laughs> meaningful and there's obviously hidden context behind it. It's clever. But when I was well, saying, that's, yeah, so that's, that's coming back. Like, free, so free word association is coming back as a, as a kind of a therapy method it's, of it's, just writing. You just sit and write whatever comes it, up. That's become a, and like it was always a therapy, but it's become a thing again because... It's a Shakespearean yeah, thing for detach. me, really. Like I'm, I'm not claiming to be fucking... 
you know the modern day like the bad yeah, yeah but it's just like i think that is the sort of closest thing you can attribute it to because you're effectively you know what you know his language it was borderline nonsense to well no he made up words yeah, he actually exactly people underrate how much slang shakespeare I, made up yeah like so much stuff that we now use is was made up by him for for performance which is sort of part of the uniqueness of the um british like uh, the, the english language because i think there's a level to that because i think more so than other languages there is a freedom because it's such bullshit because there's a word that can mean five different things anyway, just said in a different context and whether it's attributed to, to gender, essentially. It, yeah, it's, it's, all... it's nuts. And like that, I think, is quite special. And slang and Cockney rhyming slang or, you know, the differences in accents of North, South, East, West kind of land us in this, you know, quite awesome place of... You, there, there's there's freedom and it, it all just effectively is either bullshit or it, it's making some sort of nonsense. Well, yeah, I think I, it's, yeah, I think the slang thing. I mean, I love slang anyway. Like I love, Same. I love any like when people are like, well, that's a made up word. It's like yeah, surely that's better than using one that it wasn't. Like the fact that someone has come up with their own word, I think is really admirable. Like. <laughs> I'm totally backing it. Like coming up with some mad shit just because it's funny or just because it's what you want to use or, you know, like backslang and kind of to to obfuscate from a certain group of people. I think that's fucking phenomenal. I, I was obsessed with it as a kid and, and I still am. I'm the only like 34-year-old man effectively who is still being a boy and using, you know, these uh, like words. From from my friendship circle, I should say, I'm the only one, but like yeah. my mates that I went to school with, like, you know, it was there from day dot, but I still, you know, I'm friends with these guys and they just still find it hilarious that I find everything long. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's weird because as well, where, like obviously where I'm from, like rural Norfolk. <laughs> that must have been interesting. One. But there's so much slang that like, yeah. there's t- mate, there's so much slang and it's like, I don't know if it's a, like a kind of, kind of like inner city language it's a fear of outsiders and it's like you make a language to kind of if you know what you're talking about you know they're from around here and it's that yeah kind of yeah local. yeah but yeah like ladybirds mentality isn't yeah it? it's tough yeah some of it's quite negative but then it's like the words themselves are so fucking good yeah like you know like ladybirds are called bishy barnabies that's the norfolk <laughs> term for a ladybird is bishy barnaby <laughs> why uh, so there's there's Come a really on. long so so my, I want to hear it. So my partner's just named her photography company Bishy Barnaby. That's how what? I know this. No way. So it's Bishy Barnaby that much photo. Of a thing. That's how local Rah. it is. But it's like... Oh, Charlotte. I think... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think she was telling me the first... the like uh, One of the key bishops of Norfolk was Bishop Barnaby or something along those lines and it became an abri... And then like it got... Somehow that got grafted onto ladybirds or some shit. Chinese whispers. Sort but of like, yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. Like, like we had the horribly derogatory term for like women that are up for it we call them a goer but a goer is a horse that will fucking run until it falls over and dies mm. that's the original goer that's term the, yeah okay. so like a goer was a horse that was like will it win it's a goer as in it'll go past the finish line and then just fucking run until it fuck his legs fall off so it became like a, a horrible t- but then there's something about it like when you're like what's a goer you're like oh no 
<laughs> it's funny, but I can't explain it. Yeah. But there's there's so much. Yeah, local slang is and a hoss. So a hoss is like a really reliable horse. If okay. it's a hoss, it's like the hoss is your most. So if someone's a hoss, they're like fully reliable. You can trust them to be on time, back you up. Anything you need, they're a hoss. I thought you were gonna go a different way with that. No, no, that's what I mean. But a, no, a hoss is just like a solid person. It's like, all right, hoss. If someone says you're a hoss. Like, a, flip, but yeah, that's totally true. like you know when someone goes to me like you know oh, the traffic on the M1's a myth which means there's loads of traffic yeah I'm like but a myth in my head my head goes well no there's fuck tons of traffic if it was a myth the road would be empty be nothing, yeah. like, that's, that's totally <laughs> counter logical like but I love I it. I slang love, is. It's yeah, very I love, I, but I love it's... learning it. I love like, and I like using it as well. Like, and, you know, just it, all the all the strange words that like. It just challenges the normal like concept, doesn't it? It like flips everything on its head. But uh, the thing like, is, often not always. But the thing is, though, it's like every people are like, oh, your slangs for <clears> like <throat> fucking scumbags or rappers or like you know ignorant people, whatever it is, poor people. There's always like some snobbery to slang, but then there's people running around going, "Yeah, I'm a digital influencer," and it's like. Yeah, that's slang as well. Like just because you've, you've branded it up and put some money on it, doesn't, it up, yeah. doesn't mean it's not fucking <laughs> slang. You've made up some bullshit words that mean nothing and you're now dishing them out to prove you're in a separate class to someone else. You're totally as slanged up as anyone. Completely ignorant. Yeah, exactly. To, to. It's just like all that shit, like all the wellness crap. Wellness is the ultimate slang. Like you want slang? Well, the wellness world is just like totally... <laughs> Like people, oh, I've, I've optimized my lifestyle. You mean you've stopped having fun? Like that's like all this. Shit. It's... And, and then projected that onto like yeah, then, thousands of other people and in then order to make them feel someone, bad yeah, for their exactly. Life. Unfortunately, someone paid you ten grand to say you optimized your wellness or some shit. And like the morning gratitudes, it's like on. Oh, I hate the gratitude shit on Instagram. It's like oh gratitudes. I'm so I've written down three things I'm grateful for today. It's like I'm grateful I'm breathing. I'm grateful. I've had a latte and I'm grateful I'm now off to yoga. And it's like, we're going to talk about the slaughter in Burma? Well, no, we're just going <laughs> to just going to do our three gratitudes and crack just on. Going to wash over like, that quickly. But it's it's all all that like all that language is just to obfuscate how shit stuff's got elsewhere. Like the slang slang used to be a negative, and if you did slang, you were like on you know you were you were underclass, you were in the ghetto, you made up these code languages. So the police couldn't catch you. Yeah. And now slang's just become a thing you can sell on Instagram to fucking hype beast or whoever. It's interesting. I've never thought about it like that. It's been like, slang. I, I been would never hijacked. looked at it that as a level of slang. It's interesting to hear that. Well, it's it's the same, isn't it? It's a code. It's a coded language for a particular group of it, people. So it is just, I suppose, more like widely accepted as. Yeah, it's po- It's positive slang. That's the difference. It's like yeah. the people saying it aren't doing crimes. Inverted commas. They're making ten million <laughs> quid a month on YouTube or some shit. <laughs> so that's okay. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Then. yeah, fuck it. Like, but it's all right to judge these people on their slang. But these slang people do yoga, so don't worry about it. That's good slang. <laughs> Fucking crud. <laughs> yes, man. Anyway, we've wandered well off topic there. That's all right. I think um, another thing, I don't know, John base wise, that I've had a few conversations about recently, just bringing it back to sort of the um, origins that I come from musically, is that it's very much a scene we've gone down a slightly racial route it was very much a um, ghetto, like black music and its origins. And I know there's a lot of people now, like I'm sure you probably have some views on this with regards to, you know, maybe even it's apparent in like 
the dubstep scene, I'm not so well acquainted with that. But I know there's people that, they're not angry about it, but it just made me like a little bit sad to see the fact that I think the blow, blow, like grime blowing up had a direct influence in this. The lack of money in drum and bass had an influence in this, but there is a distinct lack of like, you know, black people in drum and bass music, which is effectively a music that was, you know, the same way reggae was. It was born out of like Afro-Caribbean culture in the UK. Um, you know, I'm trying to tiptoe very carefully here, but like- No, I, I it, know what you're saying. It, it, yeah. I, I live with John Galaxy and like me and him talk about it because he is literally one of the few up and coming black artists in drum and bass. And for me as a person who is an advocate of multiculture and the, re the one thing, this is why I fucking hate the sort of ignorant Brexit argument is because the one thing that I've always loved about the UK is our willingness to accept, um, you know, different ethnicities. And I think it's part of the beauty of the UK has been that we have a multicultural society. And without that multicultural society, there would be no... There'd be fuck all character to Britain, let's face it. I mean, like, a good watermark, if you look at British cuisine, yeah. like before, I mean, the, the problem is, I, I agree with what you're saying, I and mean, I think, I think the, the thing with that I find is the issue, it's not necessarily a race thing, but because, well, it is, it is, but not, not directly because of, of race. Of course not. It's actually yeah, yeah. a class, the, the ultimate problem comes from economics and class. It's Without like, a doubt. Because yeah, the yeah. money has dried up in all these industries, as yeah. we fucking yeah, yeah, know. Yeah. Yeah broke <laughs> we're gonna set up a kickstarter please send us money um because everyone's fucking skin like the only people that can get into the game and afford to stay in long enough to make a dent are people that are like white middle class in britain got rich parents got my flat in london all this shit not necessarily all but largely to stay in the race long enough to make a dent you need some financial backing because there's no yeah. money at the bottom end and that obviously economically because of the nature of our country is you're more likely to be in a better position if you're white and middle class yeah. than if, you know, if you're kind of first generation. It's kind of like, I think, and the problem it's is... sad. And so much, we're, like, people go, like, we're such a multicultural society, and we are. But, but you know, unfortunately, it's only because we stole everything off those people in the first place. Yeah. Like, the empire... It's really, it's an interesting, I, I'm not an expert on it. Uplifting listening for you lot, guys. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Like I said, I'm not an expert. But it's but true. The British Empire thing is weird because it's like all the economic stability we had growing up is a runoff of everything we took from all the people we exploited. Without a doubt, yeah. It's, it's complete bullshit. What and it's also the reason a lot of people are here, like the Windrush generation and everything, who have obviously now been totally fucking shafted back the other way. That was all as a result of empire that yeah. everyone migrated here. So it's like our multiculturalism is almost like a fucking slap in the face of everything we took from them in the first... Like It's a result of effectively yeah. our history as... Let, let's, let's like, the, 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 the term that was coined terrorist, because effectively... Oh, mate, we ran being terrorists. We, we, we were we, the terrorists. We were thing. the number one. I like, you I know, know, we, we know it, it's ridiculous. Like, I love the like you know the like, irony is I feel too much we're either to gonna bear. get fucking burnt alive or fucking beat <laughs> up if we continue on this route. But like the whole Brexit thing, 
as people are talking about the economy collapsing, people are going, well, British Empire, British spirit, all that. And it's like, fuck off. Well, yeah, but also it's like that our money was built on stealing other people's stuff. And then the argument for Brexit is Europe is stealing our stuff. So it's like you don't like the collective empire of the of the EU, but the British Empire, which is us nicking everyone's shit and going pay us a revenue, yeah, is better than Europe collecting everyone's stuff and saying pay us a revenue. And it's like well they're kind of the same thing, except that one's vaguely diplomatic. To take, regardless of how well it does or doesn't work. To take it back to like a music perspective on this, do you ever listen to like Loki? Because mm. for me, he is like you know one of his bars, like the biggest looters of the British Museum. And like he touches upon this stuff very deeply because I think he's uh, is he come from like he's like Iranian or uh, Afghani background. He's he's yeah, uh, he's Arabic of um, he's 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 got I think Arabic. He's Iraqi. I think he's yeah. I can't, I, remember. I, I can't remember either. You know, we like we said we drank too much before we started this, but I mean, your obviously... data attention is not my skill when I'm sober. <laughs> like, I'm not gonna lie. But he comes from like a place where. Oh, it's such an interesting and beautiful viewpoint that he has on all this stuff because effectively we've been, you know, bombing his like home nations and been in war with his home nation for X amount of years. And it's like we claim to be this, you know, the the sort of we, we, we claim to be the answer or like I said, I love multicultural society, and you know you called me out in a in a way because I I, I didn't mean it in that context, and I meant it in the context you mean. I love the fact that we have all all these differences, and that there is diversity. I love that, but I'm you know it has come from a place that effectively is so fucking dark, and it's still going on today, and it's just like it's just washed aside, like it's nothing and we're like oh you know we're really good and you know we're, we're the way that modern society should be operating but actually the reality of it is that we're kind of underhandedly doing the shit we did before we just got better at putting a cloak over it well it's i yeah i think i think <clears throat> this whole like the kind of whole brexit thing is sort of like it's like, I, I, I kind of think, I, and again, I'm, I'm not a political analyst. I don't know. Oh, I have no idea whatsoever. But it's from, all based on opinion and emotion. Yeah, from my naive <laughs> viewpoint as a person that just watches it like a car crash going, I don't know anything. I just It's like the dying gasps of empire because you've got all these people running around going, we, can, we won World War Two. we can win this. And it's like, but we united with the whole of Europe to win World War Two, And now your World War Two argument is based on us leaving Europe. And that's like, that kind of makes us Germany. If you want to get really basic, that makes us the party on their own. That's the like. But it's just I don't I don't I, I mean I think I think the problem is people were given a yes or no question for something that the public shouldn't even, even have to vote on. I am yeah. I'm kind of on that old old school it, story. It's bad, opinion. isn't it? But I don't it I, the... I don't I don't know enough. I personally like I did vote, but I don't feel confident. I couldn't sit there and explain why on every level financially I think it would be better to stay in the EU. Yeah. So it's like maybe I just shouldn't be allowed to. Like, <laughs> I mean, Even though like well, I you're, you're intelligent yeah, and you but, have yeah, a, but, a good scope, probably but, a better But European scope economics is not my fucking bag. Like, no. I talk about dubstep and drum and bass when my fucking mate's drunk in my friend's fucking <laughs> laundry room. Like I'm not necessarily the guy to have an opinion 
on whether we should part, be part of the 22 country trading block and all the rest of it. I think for, for me, it was like, I know people are probably, apologies, they're probably telling me. Oh, sorry, they, they checked their ages <laughs> ago. Don't, right don't worry now. about them, they, went, they left but, ages but ago. But like for me, it was it, it was a simple, I, I, I did fuck all research on this and I don't, <laughs> I, some, someone can literally call me out if they want. I voted with my heart and as soon as I heard the words, we would be better off out of the EU, yeah, yeah, yeah. that was it for me because why do we want to be better off when we can be something of a greater good for people that maybe don't have as much as what we do? We have it pretty fucking good. I know, like, realistically, the problem I found with it was that the issues in the north and the neglected areas of the UK should have been dealt with pre-Brexit. If they had been dealt with pre-Brexit, I think we have a different vote. And that's my viewpoint on that whole political bullshit that we probably shouldn't be talking about. Sorry, guys. So I was, we just delete this. But it's fine. <laughs> we can edit that. It's not. This problem. is specifically for our, our benefit, just to yeah. have a vent. And I tell you, what, I do want British, to talk about. Fuck that. We can, we can bin that bit. <laughs> Star Wars. Yes. Oh let's, no. Let's have a yeah, Let's get into it, mate. Shit. We've got another ninety minutes of this oh, podcast God, now. No. And let me get some drinks. <laughs> let me get some drinks. We'll come back on Star Wars. <laughs> Because uh, I want to know your opinions on some stuff. So the old rogue Jedi thing. <laughs> I mean, I know you're a Star yeah. Wars fan anyway, as most normal humans are. <laughs> Apparently not a good enough Star Wars fan, I have. It has been known. Well, I mean, Ash doesn't like Star Wars I mean, at all. And this is still... Does he not? Honestly, it's nearly broke... Shocking, Ash. It's nearly broke the company well, we, we up multiple times. We take this podcast outside of Honestly, house it's now. literally... <laughs> I know. <laughs> this is not a cool anymore. I know, right? But, um, yeah, we've nearly dissolved the company on multiple times just because he won't watch Star Wars. I'm, like, I'm not about to... <laughs> So where did the Rogue Jedi... So is Rogue Jedi a club night or just a film or what <laughs> so, is it? Do you know what's funny? Is I never saw this... Uh, this um, sort Podcast of situation. being so arduous? <laughs> no, this situation arising because so many people come to me and gone, yeah, your new Rogue Jedi night. And I'm like, what? No, it was, it was a Vision AV Presents night and the boy band that we've started is called Rogue Jedi. Oh, right. All right <laughs> so... I didn't. I didn't get that. I didn't no get, one. I didn't no, get the memo. Do you know what? It was an oversight on my part. Honestly, the amount of people that comes to me going, "Yeah, you're Rogue Jedi Night," and people just think it's a night. Just call it that. That's fucking much better than Vision Obi presents. Without a doubt, it hundred percent <laughs> is. It literally. I kind of got. Um, someone actually approached me that was Pat London, and they wanted to do night. Like they wanted to. They were like, "You should. You know, we should do nights. Uh, you you can represent it. We'll call it something." And I. Honestly, it was just a quick off-the-cuff thing and didn't have time to really think of a name and it was just, fuck it, we'll do Vision Over Presents. And it was, in retrospect, you know, maybe I'll go back and do things differently, but at the same time, it is what it is and it's it's done. But the Rogue Jedi thing, the reason that was branded a bit bigger on that night was because it was the launch of a new project between me, Taylin and Joe Raygun. And it's basically formed off the back of a... 48-hour session at Taylor's house. Always, always a good way to always start. Always a good way to start, yeah. Like, strictly professional manoeuvres, as always, for those that know me. 
and yeah, really, I've been I've been coining that term for a while because obviously my name derived from you know it, it was Obi Wan Kenobi. That was the Obi part that I added, and really that was only added because oh really yeah I, I kind of assumed it was like Shinobi. Uh, do you know how many times I've been called Shinobi? I just figured it was like you like <laughs> and, and I love that game. I figured that's what I, I mean. Now. I figured it was a shit. No, it's a shit game. I was like, why is he named himself after the shittest game on Mega Drive? Yeah, it's fucking well. It, it, it was actually I was called Vision because I feel like I visualise my lyrics and I want to convey, then, oh, convey okay, my yeah, vision yeah, to the world. Right. There was a DJ Vision. He was an up and comer. Don't know if he's stood around if he is. Big up yourself. But um, it kind of came from that, and I was like, I want an individual name, man. I didn't get into this to. I wanted to create myself like a uh, alter ego, an alias that I, you know, could just do whatever the fuck I wanted to do and just actually be myself. And that was where it came from. And I was just obsessed with the Jedi concept. And yeah, that's where the Obi came from. I took it from Obi Wan Kenobi, so it was just Vision Obi merged it together, and that was kind of the romance of it. Really, it was using the force, the mic, the lyrics in order to convey my vision. And that's the kind of romanticised version the, of my name. Was it the good Obi-Wan Kenobi, a.k.a. Alec Guinness, or Ewan McGregor <laughs> in the it was Which, which Obi-Wan Kenobi? Because that's was, important here. It was definitely... Mate, I, the new films hadn't even come out. Oh, like, good, luckily. Uh, correct. Is, is, yeah, definitely the correct You've saved yourself from the guillotine. Alec Guinness was, was the guy. And yeah, although I think Ewan is actually one of the things that Do you know what? No, out. he's... he's <laughs> the only good thing yeah. I, I, I will back it he's the in only the good new, thing in the new ones the I say new ones there's like been 10 since that are largely yeah, shite and but progressively worse apart from Rogue One Rogue One I, I so Rogue I, One I, right, this is controversial what's your right, what, what are your top three Star Wars oh man stack them do you know what before we start this you know what's funny is like when I get quizzed like my missus is like a huge Star Wars fan right really and when we've seen, like massive mate about I don't to get, even know if Charlotte's seen them all she, she's about to get a tattoo of Princess Leia like on her arm um, and like, I'm now her biggest ra- fan ra- ratings for that but um when when we started talking about Star Wars obviously she didn't really know who I was initially and we got together and then it ended up like materialising when we talk about it and within like 10 minutes she's like you're not even a fucking Star Wars fan yeah, <laughs> yeah and she like called me out because she was yeah. asking me stuff that I had no idea about and really I'm a Star Wars fan but I'm just one of those guys that just mosey on through life and doesn't really yeah. dig into things too much and it was more the Jedi concept I was uh, obsessed with I love Star Wars I'm a big fan of Star Wars some of my favourite films but my name would put me out to be the biggest Star Wars fan on road. Doesn't and I, I am not. <laughs> and I was, you know, called out on that a while back by her. But I would say probably Return of the Jedi is it's number my one, favorite. right? Yeah. Two. Um it would be I'd say a new hope. Interesting. Yeah. Right. Just because it was the start and it's the first one and do you know what? I'd probably put Rogue One third. Intre- right, okay, that's <laughs> interesting. Do you hate Rogue One? Nah, no, oh, right, so, okay. so my top three is that one is Empire. I mean, Empire Strikes Back is one of the greatest films. Like, that's actually a brilliant grown-up film. Yeah. Then two is Return of the Jedi, because yeah. it's basically built to sell lunchboxes, but it's the most fun you'll ever have selling lunchboxes. <laughs> and then three, I might go Rogue One. Yeah, okay, I think cool. I think that's for me, good. that's yeah. probably the three. Out of the new ones. I, I think A New Hope own... is... I actually would rate A New Hope below Last Jedi and... Below Last Jedi. Possibly, I hate to say nah, it, right. possibly even Force Shh, Awakens. Why, the this is done. Nah, <laughs> man. 
The force of come on, man. It's not really right. So I, I've, I've. It's hugely problematic. Like the whole bit with Leia floating through space and not dying is oh, one of the worst oh, things oh ever committed to film. Mary Poppins. I, in I think it's terrible. And there's too much that you can see a lot of them trying to pretend they're doing a Marvel film. Like they're trying to do that Marvel humor and the irreverent shit. Yeah. And that I think is terrible. But actually, I think as a film, it tries so much harder than any of the others to actually have a quality level to it. Like visually, it's brilliant. It's yeah. so well made, and it, I I feel I feel it has a point to it that the others just don't. Like, Force Awakens is like someone put Star Wars on the jukebox in a pub. It's like a greatest hit CD of like his bits you love. And initially, when I saw well, Last I, Jedi, just, I thought just it was my memory so bad. The Force Awakens that is was on the, the Kylo Ren. The first one of the new ones with the and new... And it's with Rey, isn't it? Yeah, and it's the one where... It's and, spoiler, and, and, where and she, she without, without any off. Jedi training, manages to have him up. Yeah. <laughs> Ludicrous. And, and the entire setup is the same as A New Hope. Like, the entire plot is the You're same. You're right about that. They literally are on a moon. your 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 love Totally, because I, I, I was... No, no, I, New Hope, I was always like, this is a great... I loved it, but it was like, it's actually really badly made. George Lucas is technically a crap director. You're looking at it from that perspective as well, whereas I don't have the visual... Yeah, man. Yeah, he's good me, on, on a just... technical level. Like, I know they advanced film effects beyond... Uh, yeah, but still, I think but you're more I think New qualified Hope is, to have an opinion on that I think sort of stuff. New Hope is really ploddy narratively. Okay. And very little actually happens for about an hour. It, that is actually true, And then, yeah. like, the big, sword, the big lightsaber duel between Obi-Wan and Vader, because they were literally fighting with broomsticks and they're both 80... It's fucking rubbish. Like it's really poor. It's you, poorly shot. You're looking at that from a context of in the time that it came out, or when you no, first even, saw it, or yeah, even it, when you look at when you watch Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Yeah, they're really well shot. The lightsaber jewels and that are really well. Yeah, filmed. that is true. Lucas is not very good at that sort of thing. That's not what he does, and unfortunately, he directed it, so it just isn't. It's just not. Do you his... think it also boils down to just poor Obi Wan being an old man who can't no, build a Guinness, lightsaber? Guinness is like the greatest thing in it, though. Like Guinness's <laughs> performance is without doubt yeah, fucking. That is true, yeah. It's like the cornerstone of the whole thing. When he disappeared, I think that for me was you know to become a yeah t- yeah that, that's what being. I mean that's I think that totally was one like... thing that was the romantic the romantic but that's what I mean like Lucas me. the fact he came up with all that shit is brilliant yeah but the way he shot it is not as impressive as the concept that's. I think for me, A New Hope, the concept is brilliant, it but it's down. not as well okay. executed. I rate it? that. Yeah, and what I also rate, right? Alec Guinness, fucking G, one of the greatest British oh, actors mate. ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he sniffed early on. Like Everyone was like tanking Star Wars and saying it was some geek shit and it was never going to work. And he sniffed it was going to be a winner. And they had like real big budget problems because yeah, no one yeah. would fund it. So he said to Lucas, he was like, you can take my fee back and I'll have a percentage of the box office. Yeah. Which obviously Lucas went for because he needed cash flow. Yeah. And that meant, yeah, like Guinness got like a couple of percent of all Star Wars' Didn't gross. did Harrison Ford do the same thing? I think, I uh, I think he might have done. Or he, was, that might have been on the later just, ones. Um, similar thing. They... Because they... I know that the main thing that's been talking about that is, um, what's um, Skywalker's name? Hamill. Hamill, Luke. Mark Hamill, great Mark, man. Mark, Mark Hamill, yeah. He literally, he was the one that didn't do that. Well, he's, and, and yeah. he he actually ended up having zero p and he always had p but, but like, it, that's not a factual like we'll just cut a bit i'm pretty i'm pretty sure he always had some money yeah but like yeah he was because obviously he was the main character and it was like his story but of course ford was the one that went on to become the fucking megastar yeah and hamill yeah I well think, that's because he could act though no i think hamill's the thing is though hamill's Come like, on. yeah but he's I know, not 
So I would, he's not the best out, out of the cast. Yeah, but I would I would argue. I think I call it the Superman syndrome. <laughs> Hamill's got the most boring character in the world to play, and Ford has okay. got the Ford has got the slickest, coolest yeah. guy on earth he's to play. He's a scoundrel, isn't he? And yeah, yeah, exactly. And he's got all the good lines and literally. Hamill's just like I'm going to save the world. I'm a nice person, which is great in the real world, but on film it's fucking dull. And Superman's the same. Like you watch Henry Cavill is not a bad actor. But those Superman films are like the worst shit I've ever seen. Yeah. And he's fucking terrible in them because he's just being earnest and like, I'm here to save the day. I'm a nice guy. And it's like, yeah, no one gives a fuck, mate. Look, there's a reason we all like gangster rappers and it's not because they're earnest and shave every morning. Like, <laughs> so what's funny about that is the irony is that you're sitting here next to someone who's <laughs> who is like, I'm the nice guy rapper. Yeah, the irony's not missed on me. I just... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. I was, actually, I was just trying to get in there before you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, yeah, you are the Henry Cavill of drum and bass. <laughs> oh, no. Shit, right, career okay, done well, on this podcast. Anyway, I've got to go. I'll see you in a bit. Signing out on that one. Last, well, no, last think, tune. I thought last year that was an admirable... There wasn't a failure, but there's bits that are really bad. Is that the most recent one? Uh, well, Solo's more recent. If oh, you my get God. Yeah, exactly. Don't even oh, get my God. <laughs> Me and Mrs. tried to watch that like three times. And like, I think yeah, she fell asleep like twice. It was late night, to be fair to her. She's like mad Star Wars geek, but like... It was just, uh, it's Honestly, so bad. I saw it at the cinema and then I forgot I'd seen it and rewatched it. Side note, yeah. Jay Kenzo, we're having a fucking four hour discussion about this, bruv. Because I'm not, <laughs> I'm not having it, mate. Kenzo, he, re- yeah. he reckons it's all right and I need we need to have a full on sit down <gasps> with the recorder and just turn that into a podcast because I'm not. I'm coming out swinging. I thought him as, um, like, him, like, like what's the actor's name? I don't actually know. But him oh, as, he, you know, he was brilliant. This, uh, unfortunately. He's quite good. He's got no, swagger. I, I, thought he, I, I also quite like uh, Woody Harrelson's part in it, it as nah, well. No, he was fucking, he was just playing Woody Harrelson. As well, he was, but I think that worked. It was just the whole thing was just on the whole. No, I overall, thought, I thought, um, I thought the main, um, Old Neron Mike, who plays Solo, was like a really good example, like a, a really good version of what you would imagine Ford would be younger. As a young, yeah, I, thought I definitely he, agree with that. I thought yeah. he nailed that. Unfortunately, the script had none of the spirit of Han Solo in it. They spent too long trying to explain all this fucking backstory shit that no one cares about. I quite like what the you know him and Chewbacca. That was when they met. No, that was a decent. That was a decent little moment. Yeah, the film and the film was really boring. Like it's really just beige. Mate, it is a pretty. Very shit little film. happens and very little. Even the action scenes aren't very good. It's just as Emily Clark plays his. Think so. Yeah. Hers is a bit like. But even Bettany, her parts a bit shit. You've got Paul Bettany as like Panto the, villain, oh, and it's still boring. He, like he's the best Panto villain. But he's, 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 he's that's what he's pretty he's shit. He's so Bayesian. Yeah. yeah. Apparently, he was brought in last minute though because. Really. So yeah, the, the direct originally this is what I think this is what really annoys me about it. Originally, it was going to be the the directors were the directors of the Lego Movie. Um, Wicked film. I yeah, yeah, so. that's what I mean. It's um, uh, they're a duo whose name I've forgotten because we've been drinking since about lunchtime. Ah, <laughs> oh, fuck. Anyway, don't worry about that. I'll dub it in later. But the point is, they were directing it and they walked off because they weren't allowed to do what they wanted. They were oh, like, really? they just were like, fuck it. So they wrote it. Never. Uh, oh, no, I can't remember the names. But they just wrote it and like they were directing it and they bid it off. And it was quite late into production. Like they'd already been shooting for a couple of months when they left, which is unusual. Like to leave at that point, it's like yeah. 
So they got in fucking Ron Howard, who directed Apollo 13 and The Da Vinci Code. So he's like not a bad director, but he's very much safe pair of Hollywood hands. No one's going to argue. Yeah. He's an Uncle Tom. He's very much an Uncle Tom director. <laughs> but like, so they got him in, and it just like <laughs> the film itself is so no gay. That's Tom, what I'm saying. I don't even know if it's appropriate for me to use that term not, in the sure context of Star Wars films. I think bearing in mind what we spoke about so far, but that's, that's how, the least of our worries. But that's how I feel about Star Wars. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm protective of the old girl. Yeah. But yeah, and it's just fucking beige. It's just so forgettable. It's not even bad. It's just boring. What did you think of the so episode one, two? Oh gosh, they're horribly bad films. But you think they're Lucas directed them? You leave him in charge, it all goes. But you think they're like that much worse than because for me, I think they're substantially worse than any of the new shit. No. Yeah, at least. But at least the new shit. A bit like when you see your favourite DJ and he's making mad experimental music. At least the new one's just new to play the hits. Whereas the old, the, the, the prequels are all like, it's just like someone wanking over CGI's abilities. That, I, I think... There's no may, plot, nothing You might be happens. right with that. Because and a lot of it undoes all the good stuff. You might be right with that because it came at a bad time where... <laughs> it came at a bad time. But, but it did because <laughs> CGI at that time was, was such a thing. Like, yeah. I, I just watched, I watched Lion King in the cinema literally I've not you, seen that yet do you know what mate the CGI in that I could be watching an Attenborough documentary yeah. it's fucking nuts I literally left that cinema thinking everything we live can in can lions talk e- no, I was like everything we live in now could already be some alternate reality <laughs> that somebody else has fucking programmed because the fact we can make shit look that realistic yeah. is nutty like it just is it's insane but but like very very clever. Uh, it was actually all right film to be honest. I, didn't I don't know. Like... I just don't see the point. Like the Lion King's like a great oh, film. But I quite like. I like quite like the remakes of, of all like the you Jungle Book. I quite like, enjoyed. I just. But why not? Bring it into. The yeah, I know. I agree. I'm. The thing is, I'm just an old cynic, am I? Like you know this. Like, I'm just. <laughs> there, it's like this, this, the, the cynicist the, versus the, the positive. Ret- exactly. So I mean, the returning theme. I'm just like this is bollocks, isn't it? We, we should have never sat in a room together, I should mean, we? It's it's always going to end up. It's always going to end this way. I just, I just don't get it. Like, just make a new film that's actually good. Like you've I got, do hear you on that. you've got CGI that can make a lion convincingly talk. Mm. which is possibly not necessary but, <laughs> but why, why, why horribly redo, unrealistic yeah, but why redo some shit like this the amount of things I would love to see a talking lion do I don't need so, to rewatch Lion King it's quite good anyway do, do you know what it boiled down to for me actually it was touch and go because it got to a point where I like I literally was like Rafiki has played fuck all part in this and Rafiki is the fucking Don yeah. Like, what? Where is and and then all of a sudden, like almost right at the end of the movie, it rushes that whole bit of him doing all the stuff. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. showing Simba's father in the clouds and all that shit. But it rushes it. But I was like, thank fuck for that. They actually yeah, gave him so a that's part. All tucked I, I, in the back end. It actually is until the last half hour. He barely even features. But then he gets his little fucking stick out, starts banging out some hyenas. If I want to get, if I want to get tinfoil hat, I think this is just Disney whitewashing their history. Like they're just they're just cleaning up all the shit they did wrong in previous generations. That's what I think this Chalk whole the corpse. Yeah, it's like the, new, the yeah, it's like the new Aladdin. It's like oh yeah, give the girl a song because we did that the first time round. Oh, like, do you know what I mean? But it's literally <laughs> that. It's like isn't that like modern day life though? Yeah, but that's that's what bothers me. Everyone's like, yeah, it's really good though because I enjoyed it when I was a kid. 
But it's like just them going, yeah, you know those crows that were like black exploitation? Yeah, just don't. Yeah, just leave them out. It's like that. And I think it's a bit, no, I think it's all a bit whitewashy. I think they're just, it's just Disney cleaning house because now they've bought everything and now own 50% of cinema or some shit. Okay, on that note, let's take it fucking, let's take it to, you know, places we're probably going to get told off for. What do you think about female DJs in the modern music industry? Well, I don't think anything about them. If they're decent, I don't, like... If they're decent... Yeah, well, I just think, like, the thing is, I think almost the issue, in a weird way, like I was talking about earlier with the whole Instagram thing, the problem is the currency now is not whether you DJ or not, it's your gender and yeah. what you talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this is why I'm asking. I'm not saying, I'm not saying they shouldn't be talked about, but it's like, yeah, the problem is, of course, now, you've got really good female DJs that can't get booked because they're not, like, sitting on Instagram with their rat out. Mm. But then... <laughs> <laughs> Soz. but then at the same time you've got you've got DJs that are, sorry not sorry fuck it like, but you've also got DJs that are getting booked just because they're really photogenic and they've got the best press shots yes. and it looks good on a flyer this was the angle I was coming from but unfortunately and... because we're in a very earnest moment in time yeah if you mention it you're a chauvinist or you're angry the industry shrinking yeah. on a male booking level or some shit and a frank fuck of it is I don't get booked either way because I don't DJ. So I, my opinion is not based on me not getting work. Yeah. But yeah, I, I know really brilliant female DJs that get paid less than crap ones. Yeah. But then I also know really brilliant male DJs that get paid less than crap, crap ones. ones. So, and the, the yeah. problem is not the gender. The problem is branding and everyone's exactly. fucking leaning on yeah. Instagram and how you appear. Yeah. So it's like you can be a crap DJ that does yoga and has an avocado tree in their fucking flat. And you're more culturally valuable than someone that's like fucking roots drum and bass DJ or roots house DJ, whatever. And the problem the problem is not gender or any of this other shit. The problem is that everyone keeps paying attention to what people are doing online instead of just booking people. That's the reason I wanted to ask it, because I find that subject very interesting. And it's it's a touchy subject at times, but I'm a huge advocate of uh, women in uh, drum and bass and I think I'm not it, fuck them no, I'm, jo- I'm joking <laughs> obviously I'm I joking it, it, I don't like drum and bass no matter what you gender literally even even if you've got the image and everything Honestly, that comes with it I don't give a fuck you can be both genders your music's still boring and, and uh, but that's what it really it should come down to and I think it's an interesting um, crossroads at the moment because we have you know um, female DJs coming through for the sake of being female DJs and promoters and maybe riding off the back of uh, a female being attractive the same way that, uh, you know, male DJs in the past have probably been able to make ends meet better than an ugly guy. <laughs> because well, what's, the, what's the guy who did, like, the Jack and House guy? Oh, he's like proper Love Island business. <laughs> um, I definitely not know who so the no, So there's is. a DJ, oh, shit. He, like... When when the kind of Jack and House thing first came through with like Tom Shorters and that kind of crew that were actually good, there was a guy, I can't remember his name. We should totally do this sober. <laughs> I can't remember his name for the life of me, but he's like proper like six pack IB for lad, lad, lad. But he got booked because he had like, you know, X amount of Instagram followers and he could mix house competitively. Influencer. Yeah, it's kind of that. It's crazy. Um, but then part of me sort of like, I hate to fucking give them any wriggle room but i'm like considering how hard it is to make a living on any music now as a promoter like running clubs is the worst idea ever like you're better off working in child porn or something (laughs) 
but like as a promoter, if you've got some twat who like mixes four tunes competently and can sell ten thousand tickets, or you've got super cool, really original DJ that's like the roots guy that started a whole genre and he can sell fifty tickets. I'm not saying you shouldn't book the guy that actually started it. Yeah. But I can see from a purely promoter perspective why you would just go, ah, oh, just get the Love Island guy in. I I, I think it is difficult, isn't it? And that is why we. Well, there's just up. no there's no money anymore. No. To take risks, uh, like and, you can't afford is, to do stuff that's not a thing. Like. It's why these situations arise, but like I don't know, I, I find it very very interesting. And I'm hugely supportive of equality in charm base because, yeah, I'm one because that's my nature. Two, I'm an MC, <laughs> and there is no equality with charm base for an MC, and that's why I will fly the female flag. And I know I brought it up maybe controversially, but I just like there's there's a um, there's a woman called Kyrist who. Like it's a producer, DJ on Dispatch, and mate, honestly, she is fucking sick. Like, she mixes better than fucking so many people in the game. Her production is so tight. She's like the queen. I call her the queen of the rollers. I think I coined that term. I have a terrible memory. If it wasn't me, shoot me. Calm, but well, either way, you're getting cancelled on Twitter because you just gendered her by calling her a queen. So, like, the fact you've even brought gender into it makes you a piece of shit. So, <laughs> it doesn't matter that you're trying to help your mate out, you're a piece a, of shit. It's man. a lose like, lose situation well, this, that we're dangerously yeah. hopping around right now. But this is the this I, I, is honestly the... for me, it's just about talent and like, like, sweet pea as well. Sick, there's there's so many. Awesome female DJs and female vocalists in drum and bass that are honestly incredible artists and uh, that are booked in their own right out of their talent. And I think the point I meant is that I think drum and bass does that very, very well, where it's credit where credit is due rather than credit where credit is viewed. Well, I think, it, I think it, yeah. It, it's not about image. It's about actually you've got talent and we're, we're the drum race industry is, you know, built on a quality. It is. It always has been about that for me and acceptance and, you know, the, the multicultural society that it, that it epitomizes. Just it all adds to this pool of just like people doing it for the music and, you know, earning their spot like rightfully not out of their gender. And I think that's so important. And I think that's one thing that drum base has actually fucking smashed because it's not about, you know, excuse me, but she's got a big pair of tits. Let's fucking, Outrageous. I know, I, know. I can't believe <laughs> yeah, I've even just no, said no, that. No, no, I know what you're saying. Oh. I, think, I, think, I think in a weird way, like I was saying earlier about people taking risks. The underground kind of had like underground genres, regardless of which one, because they make so little money. You've actually got the breathing room to be more egalitarian because everyone's broke anyway and no one's fucking going like no one's retiring on this shit. So you're actually free to kind of book what you want because you're probably going to make a loss no matter who you book. Mm. So it's like you might as well just book your mates that you like and you appreciate their talent. So it's in that way, once, once you get into the more mainstream ends then you've got people spending money on your product and they expect a return and you are kind of caught in, in the machinations of that whole thing. So yeah, in a weird way, that's why, like I said earlier, that's why I don't get why the underground's so conservative. 
because you're all fucking broke kitchen fitters anyway. <laughs> so like, just do what you fucking want because you're not you're not making any money on this shit. Everyone's yeah. so scared to admit that that they end up becoming really conservative in what they do because they're trying to hold on to a preconceived notion of who they are as a DJ or artist, <clears throat> which is not really there anyway. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, we make no money. And as a result, no one can tell us what to do because we have no... As long as we pay our bills, we have to answer to no one, which is why we are just obviously unapologetically us. And it's probably also why we're not selling records, but whatever. I think it's just... I find it worrying because... And, and upsetting because I just see music becoming... Music was in, inherently something you listened to. And it wasn't about image so much in its sort of core. In, in my interpretation of it, it never really was. Like people will look back and say, you know, well, Hendrix set fire to his guitar. There was theatre involved in it. Like the Pink Floyd laser show was like groundbreaking. And that was actually part of the performance. And I get, um, I understand the appeal and sort of I, I I totally get that but I think modern day is so music has become more about image and how something looks than it is about how something sounds and I just it, it, it actually deeply saddens me <laughs> yeah but I think it's it's interesting because that kind of stuff is like a good watermark it's like yeah Hendrix Burner's guitars or like Led Zeppelin having a shark in a bathtub with a hooker that's like <laughs> the classic red snapper story yeah. Like that stuff was like, it was magical because you didn't know what they did. All you knew was he burnt a hotel guitar, he burnt a guitar in a hotel, they threw a fucking shark in a bathtub. Like they were like these mystical things for these people that were unobtainable and there. And now like the way, because you've got to post your breakfast every morning to sell your single, it's like everyone- Check mine. 10 p.m. tomorrow, spinach, vegetarian, mushrooms, garlic, pentagon chili. Oh, do you know what? I honestly no thought deal. we could go to a whole podcast like you mentioned and you're vegetarian. <laughs> oh, hey! You fuck that, ain't you? I'm not even vegetarian. I, I eat fish. I'm a pretender. No, that's a pescatarian. I know it is. Yeah. Which is, I just call them lazy. <laughs> it's so true. Either eat meat or don't. La lazy and, so and, and actually hungry. Yeah, shout out Vision Obi on that one. Thanks, mate. He's vegetarian, did you know? Don't think he mentioned it. <laughs> uh, also, one of the nicest humans I've ever met, which is rare in music, special chap. Extra special shouts to him just because he's always so nice to be around, full of positive vibes. Yeah, and now for the obligatory sales pitch. So, uh, yeah, if you enjoy the podcast, please, please, please share it, subscribe to it. Like it on social media. Tell your friends to tell your friend. All that boring shite. We've got to do it because, frankly, no one actually makes any money anymore. So it's all about just endless numbers and metric rubbish because everything is now done by an algorithm instead of a human with decision-making abilities. So why not make the decision to support us and share the posts, share the podcast, recommend it to people, leave us a positive review I mean, you can leave us a negative review if you want on Apple Music or Podcasts or whatever it's called now, but we will come and find you. And it won't be nice. But yeah, leave us a positive review, you know, share it around. You can support us on Patreon. We've got some nice tiers of support on there. Uh, you'll get some nice free bits, free downloads from the Bandcamp, free merch and vinyl for the higher tiers. Um, there's some exclusive episodes going to be appearing here and there, going to do some sort of special kind of more ridiculous ones. They'll be kept under 
lock and key for the paywall customers. So yeah, get us on Patreon. And as I said, just share the fucking thing, man. Just tell people it exists. Because, frankly, most of these music podcasts are just boring people selling you a tour. Whereas we talk utter shit and it's way more fun. So come and support us instead of some corporately sponsored dickhead. Uh, we're obviously never going to get a corporate sponsor because we can't behave. And that's why we need you. So yeah, like, share, subscribe. All those things right there. Thanks, guys. New episode coming soon, maybe. Don't know. Got one with Wrong Tom in the can. That'll be along soon enough. I'm going to actually edit that and get it up because I'm excited to share that one. And as I said, there's also an exclusive paywall one for Patreon customers, which is a Purple City Roundtable after a festival with myself, Etch, Jabru, and Ashley, who also runs the label and is our head of A&R. And yeah, we all got really hammered and decided a podcast was the way to go. And it invariably wasn't, but it's probably our funniest one. So yeah, keep an eye out for that on the Patreon. Cheers, guys.